Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so what makes a life a good one in the coast guard we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to episode 267 with my guest, Winter Mitchell. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and enter offer code MENTAL at checkout to get 10% off. I'm Paul Gilmartin. <laughs> I'm new to my name. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. A place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist, not a doctor. This isn't a doctor's office. You know what? It's barely a home. How's that? I'm a jackass. I'm a jackass that tells dick jokes. Um, Think of this show as a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter handle that you can follow me at. Uh, Go check out the website. There's all kinds of stuff there. You can fill out surveys that maybe we'll read uh, on the podcast. You can browse the forum. You can post there. It's a good way to uh, communicate with people who are going through stuff that's similar uh, to you. And uh, you can support the show financially by going to our website. Um, Today's show is going to be a big one. I'm just warning you, you might want to put on a Texas size uh, cowboy hat to to do this uh, thing. Is, is that what I call an episode of thing? I've lost it. I've lost control. Three minutes in. No, not even that. <laughs> not even two minutes. Uh, here's a struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself Brandon Gross and about his anxiety. He writes, oh no, you know what? I'm going to do this other one first. This was uh, filled out by... Um, a woman who calls herself Julie Sloth Dream and about her depression, she writes, my depression is that person in the supermarket that is somehow always in the way of where you need to get to. That is such a great one. 
Oh my God. And then this one is by Brandon Gross and he writes about uh, his anxiety. At least I'll never have to buy nail clippers. It is so fantastic. And a snapshot from his life. I was driving home and was deciding whether or not to go to the gym. I have gym clothes in my car and I typically change in my car on the drive over. I was feeling very depressed and I knew the gym would help. I also was playing a show the next day and was having extreme anxiety about time management, knowing that I needed to practice. I decided to go to the gym. I start taking off my work clothes and putting on my gym clothes. After getting all but my running shoes laced up, I start stripping down again and taking off my clothes and decide that I really just need to practice my songs. Work clothes on, then off. Gym clothes on and off. Work clothes on and off. I can't decide what to do. Back and forth, all while driving, until eventually I pull over and just start bawling my eyes out, wearing only my underwear. I fear that I'm inadequate. I fear that I'm inadequate. So recently I've been punching myself a lot. Sometimes I feel like my full-time job... Mental illness. ...is convincing myself... I'm so alone. ...why... Hypervigilance. ...I should try to do something. I hate my kids seeing me like that. I just imagine killing people. I woke up with rats in my hair. They warp reality. Am I losing myself or am I becoming myself? I go back to bed. Hiding underneath the sofa while people were shooting outside the house. I was able to get myself out of Scientology. Put a gun to my mother's head and I was 11 years old. Then you're just garbage moving from one person's house to the next person's house and you just hope they don't throw you out like garbage. You know, so I planned my suicide. Because you won't ask for help. I'm asking for help. I'm not pretending everything's okay. I'm not trying to do it alone. I'm really happy that I did it because a lot of good things have happened since then. That, that option just evaporated and I'm, I'm not going to kill myself. I don't think I have what the woman who is not right for me anyway <laughs> wants. I'm here with Winter Mitchell, who I met doing a podcast that she, uh, what would you call yourself, panelist on it? Uh, co-host? A co-host. Yeah, on yeah. Uh, Pop Rocket with yeah. Guy Branham and Margaret Wappler. Wappler. And Oliver Wang. Oliver wasn't there wasn't when, there. I, when, when mm-hmm. I was there, but I had so much fun uh, doing your doing amazing. your podcast. Yeah, if you guys have not listened to Pop Rocket, check it out. Um your gig is you are the head of uh, talent partnerships at Reddit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what does that mean? Um, it means that I do outreach in the entertainment community to talent and influencers and management and sort of integrate them onto the platform and show them how to use Reddit. And Reddit is sort of like this big beast that a lot of people don't seem to be able to sort of understand so help them make sense of it all i'm still a little bit confused by it somebody <laughs> so was, am I. <laughs> somebody was nice enough to create a uh a page a subreddit uh, a subreddit for for this podcast amazing yeah and uh so i was very flattered when they did it but when i go there and you know check in i'm still incredibly yeah, con- no. con- confused by it it's a beast it makes me feel old and stupid trust me yeah. you're not the only person who says okay. that and, and a lot of of all ages say that <laughs> but, but the people that are on reddit are super passionate about it 100%. super super yes. passionate about they it. are a very dedicated community yeah uh when you and I were talking uh, before I did uh, Pop Rocket, we were just hanging out and talking, and I can't remember how the subject came up, but you shared um, a really personal detail of your life yeah. uh, with me, and uh, I thought, wow, she seems like a really <laughs> open person. Yes. Uh, let's get her. Let's get her on the podcast. Yeah. Um, 
where would be a, a good place to uh, to start with your your story? Are you comfortable saying how old you are? I'm. I'll be thirty six in a week. Okay. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday in advance. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and you're originally from where? I was born and raised in San Francisco, so I'm second generation. So my mom, I used to love it a lot more. Um, It's become kind of a pain in my ass, but I was born there. My mom and dad were born there. My sister was born there. I have really fond memories of my upbringing there. Yeah, Yeah. I was just there. And it's like New York in that I never want to sleep when I'm there. I just always feel like there's something amazing I'm missing out on if I take a nap. That's how I felt growing up there. I feel less that way now. It's interesting. I kind of feel like I know what's happening. Back then, you never knew it was going to happen. That's what I like about growing up there. I especially remember that earthquake we had, the... uh, Loma Prieta, yeah. And just like, you know, it was one of the first times I realized you can go throughout your day as if nothing remarkable is going to happen. And then something completely remarkable happens and it shifts everybody. It it was a shared experience that we all had to sort of go through. And then to, you know, people always spoke about San Francisco in this very magical, beautiful way. And it was the first time I felt like we were broken. Like there's, there's something about us that's broken. And it really sort of opened up I, I i i would have to say that it opened up something not only in me but it opened up something in just the city and 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 sort of like the failures that can occur and and it definitely changed me on a like metaphysical level talk more about that it was the year the the, the year of 1989 i i turned nine and our parents were, they weren't having a great time just being, you know, married. I think at this point, my parents had been ma- married 12 years and it was obvious that things were hard and that. Would they know, disagree in front of you? All the time. All the time. And, and. Was it heated? It was heated occasionally, not very often, but my mom is kind of a hothead, my dad less so. And I just remember, it was the year that my mom told me about being, that she was raped. And it was, she told me while we were watching Fatal Attraction. And don't even ask me why a nine year old was watching Fatal Attraction with her mother but um that's just kind of the house i kind of grew up in things were some things were open and some things were closed but my mom suddenly just told me and i remember just sobbing because i didn't i never saw my mom as a victim so i never felt like my mom was anything less than strong and just you know wild and crazy and fun and smart and intelligent and powerful and when she told me that I I felt like there is a weakness there and I didn't want to see my mother as weak. So I definitely started treating her with a lot more tenderness and care. And then it got to the point that when anytime someone revealed something of themselves that made them feel weak, that that was like a weakness, like an illness, like my great grandmother telling me she had congestive heart failure, I would start saying, you know, well, well, Gamma, let's not go and walk this fast because you have congestive heart failure or, you know, Nana, let's not, you know, I don't want to, I don't want you to fall because you, you had breast cancer. It just started being real that there was a sickness or an illness or an incident that can make you kind of come up, come apart. Did it, is it fair to say that the, you suddenly realize that the world is not 
as safe as you thought it was? No, that wasn't no? the first time I felt like the world was unsafe. I felt like things happened to other people and and things didn't happen to us because we're we're blessed and people love us and people will take care of us, but it's the first time I realized I think that women in my family had endured and 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 they endured quietly. And the the receipts maybe is the wrong word, but I'm just going to use it. The receipts of 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 the proof that 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 their endurance sometimes failed them is was was sort of you know my mom would often be just she would just have rage, a sudden rage, and it would be over the smallest thing. And I remember just thinking like. Why is she getting so upset about this? This is not something to get upset about. And I'd always wondered that about my mom. But then when she told me that, I felt like she she needed to tell me because I felt like she felt my daughter is curious and the curiosities are starting to sort of pile up. She's interested in things that are beyond her years. And it's not just like reading at a higher level or, or having discussions at a higher level or having an awareness or a knowledge or, or, or wanting to know about things that happened before her time. She's curious, you know, about her sexuality. So maybe I should tell her this. And I don't know if she told me because she wanted me to be armed with this information just as a mother to daughter thing, or if she told me because <clears throat> she wanted us to she wanted me to be aware that there are men out there who will take advantage of you. And it's sad because it didn't stop it from happening to me. It, it, it a hundred percent didn't stop it. If anything, I wouldn't say that was the catalyst, but it definitely got me curious about, well, if I'm going to lose my virginity, it's going to be to somebody that I love. And, and I, I did not lose it to someone I loved. I lost it to somebody who took advantage of me. And, I think that, you know, my mom and dad's relationship at that time, definitely them just being so caught up in themselves and sort of not paying attention to the to what I was saying contributed to it. I never would blame them. But, you know, the absence of a, of a parent, both parents, definitely made a difference in sort of that really scary area between 9 and 15 where I just started to be an explorer and it's scary yeah the, the things that can fill the void yeah and an emotional connection between a, a parent and child yeah it's, it's it's frightening in hindsight do you think it was appropriate for your mom and, and i'm not judging sure. i just you think it was appropriate for her to, to share that with you when, when you were nine um i could have done without knowing i could have known later um but then at the same time, I was already always curious about things and yeah. finding things out and, and trying to figure things out and trying to sort of like tap into this psyche between or, or whatever this relationship was between my mom and dad that was so fraught. You know, my dad was 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 not home a lot. Um, and my mom was very sad and and was dealing with a lot of stuff at work just a lot of like, you know, institutionalized racism. And my mom's a professor and just like, you know, coming home at the end of the day and just not interested in hanging out with us. And that was so counter to what I'd grown up with being young. Like my mom was always active and in our lives and the same with our dad. And then they suddenly just sort of kind of like checked out. And um, 
so yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I wanted her to tell me that. I kind of could have gone without knowing that, but it definitely shifted my thought process for sure. How many kids? My sister and I, my sister, my younger sister. Okay. Yeah. Um, what what is the next uh, do you when, when your mom would would uh, kind of lose her shit over the smallest things do you think that was ptsd from from yeah, the rape? 100% okay. 100% my mom was raped twice so as a child and as a teenager so oh my god she grew up in an abusive household um you know the abuse wasn't turned on her but it was definitely her mother and father her father was abusive to her mother but her father wasn't abusive to the children especially my mother cuz my mother he he was he was not he wasn't because okay. my mom was his favorite. So he was a, a an, 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 and more so because of what she went through. So my, my grandfather was very protective of my mother. Um, so, you know, there was just, there was basically more or less it, it, the internet started right after that. And it, and, and I felt like my mom and dad are going to check out. I'm going to check out. And everybody thinks you checked out, kids at that age checked out because we had MTV and we had all these other distractions, but there, there was no distraction like the dawning of the internet. And, you know, I got a, I had computers from a very young age, from the time I was two years old. My father bought us an Atari Commodore and a Kalelco, and I was just like, Wow, you were early. Early in it. In Shit. it. I was early. So I was always, and just like any kid of the 80s, it was fun until it wasn't, what's the next? And so it was always about getting the next. So getting the next gaming console, anything. Could I didn't, never have enough memory. Never have enough memory. Never have enough, enough floppy disks. God, remember when memory was like... <laughs> A hundred dollars for four megabytes. I was like, we need more memory and who's yeah. going to install it? Um, yeah, there was just this whole new world that I was, and, and it was because I, I was so unique and I didn't have, um, I had lots of friends, but I was still considered weird because, you know, I'm, I'm African American, but I was interested in, my mom and dad had, we traveled all over and had been exposed to so many things that a lot of kids of that era and, and of my race were not really exposed to. So, so the interest level of things I had consumed so much media, so much, so many different locations in the world, so much art, so much, so many experiences, different types of food that, you know, I felt a, like an adult because I was so much more mature than, you know, my peer group. And then when the internet came and I found that there was another world out there where you can sort of exist and talk to other people, a woman, a young girl like me, it was, it was a gift and a curse. I mean, obviously I work now in, in digital communities and, and, and working on communities and, and sort of building them. But to be a part of that at that era was really fascinating. And, and, and the emergence of it was, was exhilarating, but Ultimately, um, I, I was I was groomed by somebody that found me on the internet. Um, and, you, and you were how old? I was fourteen when it started, and I was a lonely girl. Like I had really, really romanticized so many things for, for literally since I was born. Like the idea of romance was like so such an amazing concept to me. And, and has fantasy always played a role in your life but outside of romance? And, oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I mean, I fantasize to this day about, about men that I haven't been with or seen in ages. And, and, and I don't, 
I, you know, I'm, I'm realistic about my fantasies. There's some people that I just hate and don't want to think about, but there are like, you know, men that have circulated in my life that I still like, if this happened, then this would happen and this would be amazing. And so give me a, give me an example of one. If you're comfortable, I'm totally comfortable. There's, there's a man, I won't say his name, but, um, I, you know, I have literally been in love with him for like the last three or four years and, and he's in love with me too, but there's reasons why we can't be together. I mean, he's a father. Um, he's, um, had some struggles with, with alcoholism and he's going through a divorce, but we connect on like the strongest level and he's an um, actually a very amazing person i mean those things you know maybe in the 80s or the 70s those things were like people were like oh no stay away from that but i applaud him because he's made tremendous gains and his health and taking care of himself he's always been an amazing father always a hard worker um but i just constantly think about what if give me give me the like all the details. Oh, I'll give you all the it. details. Because those are my favorite parts of <laughs> those the, are my favorite of the fantasies. Part. I'm not necessarily talking about the sexual aspect. No, I mean you know what it, the, it, the the corners that our brains go into when we escape. Into when fantasy. I escape, when I think about him, I it's so <clears> funny <throat> because I'm getting older and like I don't have as many like crazy wild sexual fantasies like I like I used to because you know you get older and you get experience and you've done a lot of stuff but it's like I my fantasies fantasies are like being on a plane with him going somewhere and sitting next to someone that you love and wanting to like be excited about travel and taking him somewhere he's never been to before and maybe I've been there and I want him to see it and I want to share that experience with him or living in- And I think travel is also a, a ripe fantasy yes because then you it's just the two of you it's just the two of you and you're together in the hotel room yes together in the plane yes nobody else is going to take their attention away you meet other people and they're curious about you guys and you're curious about them and you you tell stories you trade stories you it's a bonding experience have you ever had the desert island fantasy no i used to have those a lot when i was a when i was a little kid no there was a girl in the mickey mouse club that my friend and i we were in eighth grade and i had a crush on one and he had a crush on another and we would call each other and we would and i would always because i was so good with fantasy yes. i would describe the fantasy about the four of us living on an island together no and he would say tell me the fantasy that's again. crazy yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that yeah. i just i never had the desert island fantasy mine are so based in because I grew growing up, I had I had older women in my life. I had my all my great grandmothers until I was about thirteen, and then they passed. So I lived uh, amongst women that had like domestic. They probably had secret sexual re- sexually repressed fantasies, but but I had do- I have domestic fantasies like take like baking for him, like cuddling on the couch cuddling, and watching a movie. Exactly, like going to a resort or a a spa and just spending the weekend there. And to me, that is so much more romantic and hot and like, you know, an ex of mine, we used to go hiking in Ventura all the time and we would like, you know, make out in a pond or a river or something like that. And I just felt like that was so much hotter than just like these crazy other traditionally like erotic experiences. I'm just grew up on a lot of Cinemax and like Judy Bloom trash novels. She has one trash novel called wifey, but, um, 
I just have, I, 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 what I notice in him is that he is lacking for family because he doesn't have a family anymore. You know, his, his son's not with him and, you know, he's not married anymore. And I just, that's what I want so much is to just have like this familial experience. And so even though I have a family, but I feel like, you know, the desire to, produced offspring and all of other stuff so like those are my fantasies what do you mean when you say you have family you mean not kids of your own but mom dad well like, yeah i have yeah, mom okay. dad and, and my sister but i you know an extended family but i want like a family of my own so you know i, I get scared about it and, and and what my fear was is that when it especially when it relates to him is if we'd met before he was married and let's just say that we met just randomly. I do truly believe that we would have been like this power couple. I've told him this the last time I said we could be like Beyonce and Jay-Z. Like, I feel like I can upgrade you and it would be great. And you would be more powerful than you ever thought you could possibly be. And I would be able to sort of calm down and, and it would be nice to have like this strong guy. Cause he's a very strong, tough guy, but with a really sensitive, beautiful heart. And I just feel like we complement each other. And it sucks when you can't connect on that level because I've only felt that way about two people in my life and he's the second person and they're both Scorpios and Scorpios are tremendously crazy. I'm sorry if you're listening, but like you guys have like these issues and I'm an Aquarius and we're also tremendously nutty, but I've definitely, my fantasies lean more towards, you know, laying in bed all day. Like, those are the things that I find to Doing be, the crossword puzzle together. Do, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, there's also the other stuff, but then there's that stuff, which totally turns me on more. And my one of my fantasies is uh, having sex from behind while I do the crossword puzzle on her back. <laughs> Four letters. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I've done everything. So I nothing shocks me and you know the one you, you you mentioned when we when we were emailing me about the show like what are your fears and like my fear is just that it just gets boring and 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 and, and you know sex becomes rudimentary it just becomes like if that's the right word i always use the wrong words and wrong terms but it just becomes like routine and i don't want that to ever happen and i think it's the reason why i haven't been in a relationship and it's not because this guy took my virginity without my consent um, when I was a teenager. It's because, you know, you can always grow up and, 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 and let that sort of hold you and guide you into this like world that is very tawdry and unseemly, but I, that didn't happen to me. I think, you know, some women, just like my mother, someone, my mother turned it inward. She's, she's just not sexual. Okay. So, you know, when we have conversations, my mother never asked me like, you know, about my sex life, lack thereof, or whatever. She just doesn't, it's not like of interest to her. It's always like what's going on in my head, um, what's going on with my body, but not like what am I doing to sort of feed it. And, um, you know, when it comes to, to men, I, you know, I think men, the issue of not having a partner, and I have not had a partner ever, really, and I've not had a boyfriend in like 10 years, and, you know, I would have to say that, like, sex on a casual level is pretty much my 
regimen. Um, Does that leave you feeling empty or on a certain level, can it be uh, fulfilling? I mean, it, can, it depends on who it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was I was seeing a guy that was an Italian model and he was just absolutely gorgeous. And it was that was for that was mainly for vanity that this man wanted to come over and have sex with me and found me, you know, beautiful and erotic and was interested in in me for those purposes. But I mean, I didn't really care. Who's the one to usually back out of the relationship? You or them? You know, it's weird. I don't text or call men. My father told me something when I was 19 that never left. And that was, if a man is interested in you, he'll know where to find you. And as soon as he said that, I never, you know, my dad and I have an amazing relationship. I have an amazing relationship with my mother as well. But my dad and I have a special kind of like bond where I'm, my mom always says, you're like the son he never had. And and once my dad told me that, I was like, shit, okay, well, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. If a man is interested in you, he'll call you. He'll find you. Um, so I don't text men. I don't call them. And I just don't. I don't think I've... I, I text them back if they text mm-hmm. me first, but I don't initiate contact with men. I just don't believe in it. So let's go back to um, the when you were 14. Mm-hmm. And how, how did the grooming uh, with this person start how old was he so i was 14 and he was 37 um and he told me he was 24 which was still too old and we just started talking and i basically we would talk late at night and i would talk to him about how how did he find you i don't even remember it's so weird i don't remember i remember we we just he i think he maybe he messaged me on aol Instant, uh, instant message. Were and, you in a, in a chat room or something? Yeah, we might have been in a chat room. <clears throat> we might have been in a chat room, but it wasn't a chat room that was like, you know, set up for that. And and the chat room was called, uh, I'm 34, you're 14. <laughs> I'm going to take your virginity. In hindsight. In hindsight. What a terrible oversight. <laughs> I think he thought I was older. He thought I was older because I, I, I'm, I was, Presenting myself as older because that I always did that. I was just much more intelligent than girls my age then. I was much more aware. Um, and I had interests that exceeded my age. So, you know, that's just from growing up with old people. You just, you're just interested in old people things. And, um, and I think you got your nerd card. Yeah. I've got firmly, it's laminated. Yeah. Um, I carried around in a chain around my neck. Um, yeah, I think he, and he was an engineer, an electrical engineer. And he lived in New Mexico and he was, um, you know, charming. And I remember that, you know, the conversations, you know, started really simple and then they turned towards sort of the sexual and I wasn't afraid of that. And, and I, what do you remember thinking to yourself though, when it turned that way, was it, I'll go along with this. Um, this is exciting. This is gross, but I don't want to lose his friendship. Yeah. That, the latter. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't gross to me because I don't, I don't find like, 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 again, I've never found sex gross, you know, and I didn't know what he looked like because you couldn't really trade, trade pictures Mm -hmm. then. So, so 
I just went based off of what he described himself as. And, um, you know, our con- we, we, we talked on chat probably for a year. And how, how frequently, what kind of duration? Every day, maybe every other day. For how long? Uh, two, three hours. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes six. Did you think, how, how long until you thought, I think I'm in love? Did you think? I didn't think I, I was think in love. love. I think that I thought this could be like a boyfriend. And I would finally get a boyfriend because boys just did not treat me re- well at all in school. Did you think it was a bit of a trophy because it was an older guy? Yeah. I thought that I could handle it. And I didn't think about the ramifications thereafter. I just didn't think about it. And I, and I have to be honest, I, when I, when I was going into it, there were many times where I was like, this is scaring me. This is scaring me. But at the same time, my mom and dad weren't getting along and they weren't communicating with us either. So they were just always angry. So I didn't really, I talked to him about all the stuff that I was in fear of. I don't want my mom and dad to get a divorce. I don't want my mom and dad. Things it sounds like you should have been talking to your parents about. Right. Right. But my mom was just checked out and so was my dad. So then... It was also tickling those th- that area of me that was curious. You know, I was curious. I wanted to have sex and I wanted to 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 know what it felt like because I was tired of all these emotions and feelings being pent up. Had you had any sexual experience Mm-mm. prior to that? Never even kissed a guy? No. Wow. No. I was so, I was so, like, guys just didn't. It's weird because I'm friends with a lot of the guys that I was friends with then, and they treat me like a woman now in a much different way, especially because I'm a successful woman. So it's like, you know, there's a lot more respect there. I think even a little fear of like engagement, like they're just like, they're, they're overwhelmed. We have like middle school reunions mm-hmm. and they're like overwhelmed by the fact that this girl who was like a scrawny big butt girl and played, you know, been banned and, and, and played a uh, uh, softball is like now like this quote unquote powerful woman in, in, in tech. And she just, we, we, I don't know why didn't we see that? Like I didn't, we didn't see that. And I was like, cause you weren't, nobody was paying attention to nerds. No one was paying attention, attention to, especially a black girl who was a nerd who was always in books and computers and stuff like that. Like that's all I cared about were books and computers and music. So, I mean, and, you know, there, I never drank. I never smoked weed. It, all I cared about were books and computers and music. And that was what I fed into. Um, and this guy was into that, too. So, you know, when we eventually did meet, um, you know, I set it up. I set it up uh, in a way that. What was the premise of you meeting? I thought it was just to hang out. And I'm that's heartbreaking. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. I thought it was just to hang out. And I mean, literally within 10 minutes, I lost my virginity to this fucking ugly guy who was so gross and it was scary and he was old and probably older than now that I think about it, even though I've done research since then, he was definitely the age he says he was, but, um, then it just became like this relationship that was just sick. How 
what went through your mind in those 10 minutes? I wish it wasn't with him. And, and like this. And what was it? it, it this is not me blaming sure. you at all. I just want to understand sure. the, the, the mind frame of somebody that's yeah. in the position that you are. What kept you, do you think, from saying, I don't like this, I don't want to do this? Fear. Fear of Being, him leaving? No, him hurting me. You've seen it. I don't know. You've heard the stories about men who don't get what they want when it's in front of them. You don't know what's going to happen. I didn't know what's going to happen. My mom and dad didn't know where I was, you know? Did you cry afterwards? No, I was stunned. You're numb? Yeah. It was numb. And it would, it, it kept being that, I mean, I, but I, it, it happened more. And, and you know, that's really common because yeah, they, the, the, the victim, yeah. and I hate to use that word, but at but that point, that's what that, that's what, it, what it is, wants to convince themselves mm -hmm. that they weren't taken advantage of. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I, 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 I even started taking control. You know, and and finally, in what ways? Just you know, being more sexually dominant, and 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 being you know like you know withholding and not wanting to, or 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 demanding things to him to do things to me because I wanted to be in control. And you mean sexual things? Yeah, or? yeah, and 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 I eventually. I would have to say, I mean, this went on, I mean, it was, I was 15 when I lost my virginity and it ended after a year, but I remember that he started just be, he just fell in love with me and I wasn't in love with him. And I, I, it took me more energy to hide him than anything in life. It was the hardest thing to do and, and, and to pretend like I hadn't changed and to pretend that I hadn't been violated. Um, but it was, it didn't matter. It, it, it fell apart very quickly for my mother. Before we get to that, mm -hmm. give me the battle in your brain that's the, going on. The battle in my brain is that I am now diving deep into depression and I am very scared and I am. And you've told nobody at that point. I've told like a couple friends who I thought could handle it and who ended up just not being able to handle it. They didn't just, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't back away from me. They just kept saying, this is not like, this makes me uncomfortable because they were covering for me. They were, you know, they were, they were pretending I was staying at their house or being at another place, you know, or out doing such and such. And, and, and you would be at a motel with yeah. him? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What do you what do you think and feel as you recount this? Um, you know, empowerment. I mean, I've had to live with this for now twenty years and it's informed every fiber of my being. I wouldn't be where I was I am now. I would have ended up being like a really good girl who went to high school and college. I mean, I did go to high school and I went to a little bit of college, but I would have got graduated from college and gotten like, you know, a ton of debt and 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 maybe a boyfriend or two or here or there and 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 
probably wouldn't have really known my way. I wouldn't have moved to Los Angeles. Um, I, do, I don't, I don't think that, I think everything happens for a reason. I believe that a hundred percent. I, I, I just think that I feel more empowered now. This man can't be living a happy life if he's still around. And it makes me think the fact that this man is like 60 at this point, you know, help me and the under and the uh, listener understand how it made you empowered uh, now. Yes. Um, because, because you had to face your demons. I've, 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 I've had to face, I face my demons every day. I mean, I have PTSD. I have post-traumatic stress disorder. I have anxiety disorder. And I, every moment of that anxiety sort of created, it, it, it drove me towards this. I had to prove to my family that I wasn't going to become like a whore or a drug addict or a dropout, or somebody's baby mama. Had they expressed that concern to you? I think anybody, everybody was worried about that. I think everyone was I concerned. mean, was it expressly said to you, or did you just get the vibe that that's... I got the vibe. Okay. Because everybody else kind of, you know, a lot of my other cousins sort of fell into that, into that world. And, and, it's, so, and it's so interesting, because of all of my first cousins, you know, they're all kinds of fucked up one isn't doing a bid like two life sentences one is a meth addict the other one is just you know the biggest pothead raising a kid it's just you know for more or less worthless and 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 they haven't reached any of their dreams they just haven't dreams and they all had we all were raised very well quote unquote well like we you know we had our parents there for us I didn't want to let anybody down. I didn't want to let my sister down. Um, so, and especially my parents. So I felt like, here's what I have to do. I have to end this madness, which I definitely, it took a lot to end it with him. He was unrelenting. He would sometimes fly into San Francisco and just like sit out the window and, and, and stare at me. And I just thought that was like the creepiest thing. It just was creepy. And the more I pulled away, it was almost like Lolita, like when in Lolita, when she just started <coughs> pulling away from him and sort of, you know, did, having, you, did you see that movie after? Yeah. You would be, what yeah. was that like? Well, I read the book in high school and I said, this is, and I, it was hard to read. And that's when I literally started checking out of high school because I was like, I can't read this. Cause I, nobody knew, nobody knew. And then I read it again later on and I was like, God, it was just like this. It was just like this. And I just eventually felt like, you know, um, this is something that I cannot do. I needed to gain my mom and dad's trust back. I needed to gain my sister's trust back. Um, I needed to deal with this rage because it, it also became rage after that. You know, all of this rage. I, I went into a deep depression. I didn't leave my room for like six months um, in high school. Like my, they had to bring my homework home and I would do my homework and like slide it under the door. And this was while you were seeing him or after you after, broke it? After. Okay. And did your parents then know at this point? My mother knew. She went into my diary and read it. And she said she could tell because she, I was doing the same thing she did when it happened to her. And that was coming home and scrubbing myself over and over again. Just scrubbing, scrubbing, scrubbing one arm over and over again, not saying anything, not making eye contact. Um, 
God, that is that is a searing image. It, it was it was it was real. I would just sit in a tub and scrub myself over and over again until I felt clean. Over and over again, I would take a like an hour long bath, and my mom would just my mom knew, so she started looking for evidence. And on my sixteenth birthday, they sat me down and told me that they knew everything. They'd done all the research. They'd gone on. The, they'd talked to AOL. They got my. They got the police involved. I mean, it exploded on my on your, on your 16th birthday. Your parents tell you we know about your pedophile. <laughs> it was like unforgettable, unforgettable. July. Did they, did they have Nat Cole singing "Unforgettable" in the background? Because <laughs> that would have been a nice touch. Oh God! I almost wish. Um, no, I just remember being like. I'm embarrassed and ashamed. Was there any relief? Yeah. Because then, then I didn't have to deal. Then, then and it you was, had a team then. Yeah, I had a team. My uncle at the time, my great uncle, was the deputy mayor of San Francisco. So he gave me two options, which I to this day I regret. First option was I can make him go away. He won't. He'll never bother you again. Um, Is that in a wink, wink, nod, nod <laughs> kind of a way? <laughs> It was in a, we're going to put like, you know, he can't enter California without somebody saying you're a, a sex predator type oh, way. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like, we're going to, you know, to get rid we're, we're going to go pay him a visit. We're going to pay him a visit. No, they paid him a visit for sure. Um, or we can go to court and then you become a poster child because this is never, we don't have any record of this in in the state of California for a girl being approached on the internet. So I'm one of the first cases of it. Um, and then that makes you a, a target and a, a martyr and also there's other stuff and they'll name a law after you. Yeah, this was what, 94? Mm, 95. I mean, that was right. Yeah. Yeah. As AOL exploded. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember the email they sent when they were like, we've got a million users. So like, it was definitely super early. And, and I picked the first option and that was i don't want to be on television i don't want and i think my uncle at the time was thinking more about his political aspirations versus yeah. me um well they would have hidden uh, not to say mm -hmm. that you didn't make the right decision but they wouldn't they have hidden your identity right of course now that i know you know yeah. <clears throat> looking but back then back you thought... then i you know i was just like i mean and and you couldn't bear to to tell your family no. the thought of the public the public knowing. potentially knowing that and yeah. it would have been excruciating yeah. and terrifying yeah look what they did to anita hill and she was sexually harassed you know like look what oj did to nicole at this point it was like a woman had no had didn't have a chance well thankfully that's all changed <laughs> We've made so much progress. Um, even now, like, you know, uh, most women wouldn't, you know, uh, I, I think I'm empowered by the fact that, like, Sheryl Sandberg was upfront about the death of her husband and how it made her feel. And, you know, when something traumatizing happens to you and shifts you, it's a formative moment. And... And who was it that you mentioned? Sheryl Sandberg. She is the CEO of Facebook. Oh, okay. Um, she's CEO, right? Um, or chief operating officer. One, I should know this, but you know, we're often told 
don't talk about these things. These things are personal, but it's not personal. Mm-hmm. It's it's how I am today is because of this creepy fucking guy. Um how I interact with men is because of this creepy fucking guy. Talk about that. I just don't trust men. Period. Um there's just no way for me to, I I hope, I hope one day I can learn to do that. Um, but I, I truly believe that my lack of trust of men in a romantic sense, I don't, I, I trust men in general sense. I trust, you know, you, I trust the guy who delivers my mail. I trust my next door neighbor to, you know, tell me if somebody's trying to steal my garbage can. But if we're talking about in romantic sense, being able to trust a man is something that I just is just absent from within me. And a part of it is just being a strong woman, independent, but also I just, the lying, you know, this guy lied a lot. Um, what were some of the lies that he'd never been married that he, you know, had this company or did this thing. He was a very smart man. I remember that much. He was a very smart man, but he was a very manipulative man. I'll tell you this one thing before we talk about the trust is that he followed me. He, he hacked into my, my pager at the time and followed me to when I went to Denver, um, to see a friend. And when I get off the, I get out of the plane in the airport, I'm 17 at this point, And, and I get a call over the overhead, you know, winter Mitchell, somebody's paging you and I'm like okay and maybe this is my friend and I go and I walk down there and he he like emerges from the shadows like freaking like Nosferatu and I was just like stunned and he had been busted already at this point right mm-hmm. How, why was he not in jail because we weren't in the same we weren't in I, we weren't in California I was in Den- Denver so so he hadn't been prosecuted no, he hadn't. We didn't go there. We basically told him he can't. He can't enter California, and that was his punishment. Yeah, and he can't be in contact with me. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, and when and I and that's the thing you regret is that you didn't. I should have pursue putting it, putting him I, in jail. I hundred percent should have put him in jail. Have you? You don't beat yourself up for that, though, do you? Um, Please don't, because so many survivors play that game with themselves and oh I could have prevented and they underestimate the power of the trauma to instill fear paralysis you know it's the list goes on and on and it's so common I can't even bear to sit down to write the letter it's taken me two years to Mm -hmm. write the letter Mm -hmm. to my mom to say I can't have contact with you anymore. Yeah. I'm afraid. Yeah. To write a, a a letter to a woman who is 1,500 miles away. Yeah. Th- yeah. There was just something about it that... Uh, that You feel victimized even in your thinking, even two decades later. I'd, he doesn't have that kind of power over me. Um, but I, br- I bring that up yeah. m- mostly for the listener out there, mm-hmm. but... In with on the off chance that you are one of those people that beats yourself up um, about that, I beat myself up in different ways. Um, it burns calories. It's it burns it's good. calories. I I the things that I get mad about is that like 
you know, I, I, I had a great body at the time and I think about all the weight I gained because I didn't want to be attractive to older men. Now, before this even happened, older men were always trying to talk to me and I just didn't like it. And, and if I'd seen this man walking down the street, I would have never given him even a glance. This is just not the type of guy I was interested in. Um, so I gained a ton of weight just cause I just wanted to be disgusting to, I didn't want to be a sexual being and I, and it, and it happens over the course of the last 20 years. It, it happens constantly. I'm trying to really just stop that. You know, I'm, I'm in the process of it now. I'm going super slow doing it, but I've lost 40 pounds, but I, you know, when, after my breakup, which was almost like seven years ago, I like gained 40 pounds. And I was angry because I was like, you know, 50, maybe like I was like, just, just, just like you, you try to be everything and that, and, and you can't trust a man to do what he says he's going to do or be the person he claims that he's going to be. And it just felt easier to just have casual sex because I'm a modern woman and I don't care about anybody's opinions about of me or, or, or how I live my, my sex life. And because it's mine and I've just found, I think in the last year or so, especially in the last year that it was men cower in, in, in my, in my presence and reveal so many things about themselves to the point of shame. Do you think it's because you don't give off a needy vibe to them? Yes. That there is something intoxicating about somebody that could take or leave you. Uh, yeah. I've shared this on the podcast before, but one of the most powerful sexual experiences that I ever had mm -hmm. was with a girlfriend who had just broken up with me wow. and wanted to just have, you know, uh, casual, uh, sex. casual sex. And I remember almost crying because it was so powerful and thinking to myself what is the matter with me why <laughs> why am i so turned on by somebody that doesn't want me that's why i'm a i'm i'm trying to figure out why i can't have this relationship with this person that i love and who i know has to love me the sex is like not on his menu anymore and and with me but he 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 says that it is but he doesn't he can't or he won't. I don't know what it is, but it's the most frustrating, infuriating feeling to want to specifically have sex with this one person and they do too, but they can't. Morally, physically? Um, I don't know what's going on in his head. Have you asked him? Uh, Are you afraid to ask him? I want to know the answer and... He doesn't, I don't even think he knows. It's just, it's just not there. It's just not there for him. And, and it sucks. Is he a survivor of some type of, uh, I want to know. I would love. It strikes me as the type of. It totally strikes me too. I mean, it just does. I, and I want him to tell me, um, turn your phone on. Let's give him a ring. <laughs> I would love to do that, but I don't contact this is, men. This is winter. Um, here with Paul and we want to know who touched you. Well, that's what I told him. I said, who hurt you? Who hurt you? Somebody's hurt you. 
There's just, I, I know it when I see it, when I see my own, like who hurt you? Um, it's just weird. It's so, it's such a weird thing to have, you know, I've, I've been with all sorts of men from all over the world and, you know, it is troubling to say the least that I, I, you know, I've reached this age where I, I, you know, have a great job. I love my job. I have, you know, the podcast, obviously pop rocket is a great outlet. Um, but I don't have like that connection. And it seems to me, and, and since I was a really, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, I, 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 I knew from a very young age, this was going to be a problem for me. I'm, I'm, I'm unique and I'm particular and I have like weird idiosyncrasies that have only grown since everything that's happened. And you want to share some of them? Oh gosh. I would say that I would have, I'd have light, a light agoraphobia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I, you I can only pull halfway out of your carport. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can spend up to four to five days in my home and never leave. And I, I just call that commitment. I it's, that's the only commitment I have. If Netflix wasn't so delicious, <laughs> if I hadn't seen everything like a million times, we got to we got to trade lists because uh, I'm all for that. Almost every documentary on Netflix, I think I've seen, and There's, iTunes. I, I check every night to go. Is anything new? Come on, help me out, yeah. or you give me a call, Netflix. Um, I have, you know, anxiety. Which is sort of eased and then escalates. Um, Generalized, social, around certain circumstances. The social has increased, which is interesting because I'm very social. So the social has gotten kind of weird. Um, I don't like people touching me in public. I let, a hug is fine, but the but the ling- how about people a stranger licking your face at the mall? <laughs> totally acceptable. Yeah, good. <laughs> Um, I don't like uh, chit chat anymore. I fucking hate small talk. I used to like it. I don't like it anymore. It exhausts me. It exhausts it's me. It's worse than the treadmill. Oh, it's worse. It's 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 really bad. Um, large crowds. I used to be fine with that. I hate them too. Can't deal with it anymore. Large crowds. Um, when I when it, after the, everything happened initially with with the pedophile, I. I was I would sleep at night with my with my neck and I would shake and I didn't know what was going on. And finally I realized that I was I was um just triggered. So like you know there are certain triggers um being in a place where I have no control, being confronted by somebody who won't leave me alone. So if I tell someone you got to go away and they don't go away, then it's just like what comes up? Anxiety, rage. Anxiety, rage. Rage is just, you know, at the forefront of all of it and it's you know very hulk um can you give me an example of when the rage came out oh well it's interesting like a a year or two ago well 10 years ago no i'm 26 so 14 years ago i 36 I'm 36. Did I say I was 26? I'm 26. Wishful thinking. Shaving your age on the podcast. (laughs) I'm 36. When, um, I'll be 36, but when I was 22, um, I remember I was in the parking lot at like an Ace hardware store 
and this guy with a with with a leg in a in a in a what do you call it cast in, a, in like a brace mm-hmm. was just I forget what happened, but he just infuriated me. He did something to infuriate me and was like, just, you know, you know, I've been called a lot. Men have no problem because I'm not like some lith, lith, like young waifish woman. I'm, I'm, I'm a tall, big, curvy woman. So like in a black woman and people just feel, feel like they just want to take me all the time and just, you know, go at me. And in what way do you mean? Like, I, you like don't talk get, to you sexually or no, ta- talk well, down that to you? Too, but to, yeah, talk down to me. <clears throat> um, they don't have a problem doing it. Uh, so many people, men or people in general don't have a problem. It's, it's just sort of like that sentiment that's just sort of pervasive in this country and, and outside of this country. And, um, you know, there's places where women who look like me are treated like queens and then there's America. And like I have often found myself in scenarios where I've had to defend myself. And it was hard to defend verbally or physically both. And I had to like kick this guy's ass and I just felt like he was in a, his leg was broken. Like I, I couldn't even, I was 22. Um, and was he coming at you physically or yeah, verbally? Yeah. Yeah. And calling me names. And, and, and that's the other thing too, calling me, you know, referring to my size or referring to my ethnicity is, is comes up a lot. I mean, that's just what one, it just happened like a month ago. Like, you know, um, someone at the airport called me a fat nigger bitch and I Are just, you kidding me? yeah. And I didn't say anything to these people. I don't say anything to these people to bring that up. I never, I would never attack anybody based on their race, their sex, their culture. I would never like, that's not the first place I go. And that's the first place people go that are disgusting human beings. That's, that's occasionally the first place you go for the way they're dressed. Yes. Because that's a choice. Yes. Yes. You go for the way they're dressed, (laughs) but I would never go for, I would never go for that. And, and, it just, I remember there was a guy when I first moved to LA that called me a nigger and, and, and cause he was drunk. And I remember his friends, I don't know what his, what they were dealing with him. They were like, don't, they were like, just ignore him. He's drunk. And I like, I like pushed this guy into his car and just like had, like had him up against the car. And my mom says, when you were four years old, I, we were, I was, working out at the Richard Simmons workout center and I had you in the daycare and I, and they called me out of the class and said, your daughter is freaking out. And she's like, what happened? And she comes in and she sees me with this girl up against the wall, this little girl, me with my fist up. And she's like, winter, what are you doing? And I was like, she was making fun of my name. And, and I, I, I just have always felt it sounds childish, right? But I've always felt the need to protect myself from. Why is, it, why is that childish? That's awesome. Because other people will call it childish, and people will say that that's you know she has problems and she has issues. And I'm jealous that that you have that ability. I don't. I I can't. Well, it's harder now because I'm you know I work in a corporate setting, and you know being you know I my entire career has been in entertainment where you were allowed to be obnoxious and and rage filled and that was sort of like your 
what people knew you for. Like, and, and nobody really, the work spoke for itself. So it didn't ma- matter if you referred to everybody as an asshole and the cunt and da 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 da. Um, but now I work in this environment where it's just, you know, I would never do that anyway. But, you know, I'm not like a, a, a shrinking flower. And I'm finding that, you know, even in dealing with therapy about everything, because, you know, you always have to like go and talk to your therapist whenever somebody tells you like you're making someone nervous. You have to recognize yourself in that moment. Okay, maybe this is a new environment. Maybe this is a different scenario. Maybe I'm, maybe, you know, this person is sensitive and maybe I'm just aggressive. I've always been aggressive. So, I mean, I think a lot of that just comes from being a tomboy. Um, but I've always been aggressive in life in terms of like my career and like my goals. But, it, it, you know, um, relating to a man, very, very passive, mm-hmm. not very, very much so passive, like just like kind of like let them, you know, I like I'm wearing like this jumpsuit, like I've been wearing this for like three days straight with I'm with a dude. It's like, you know, always like with the with the things, the things are out and exposed. And, you know, you're like you're, you're it's always like, you know, a, a romantic or sexual wardrobe choice. And I just give over to them. And I always feel like that's is and isn't sort of who I am, but I'm doing it. You're be- talking about when you're in a committed relationship, with, even with when you're guy. on a date. Oh, okay. <clears throat> if you're on a date and then a, the switch flips and you become detached and they, I, I, I detach when I feel like you're saying something stupid. Like I feel, if I feel like you're, if I feel like you're saying something stupid, I detach. And this guy told me last year and what a dick. Um, there's a good chance I know him. <laughs> you probably do. He told me, he said to me, I, you are, there's the girl who's the girlfriend who could become the wife. And then there's the girl who's just the girl that you need on your arm. And you're the, the, the former. And I thought to myself, wow. Just to even say that out loud and it's hard for me to was this a guy that you were uh dating or having sex with no uh, eventually it was terrible his whole scenario you had sex with him after that i yeah that's ridiculous oh my god that is an awful moment that's an awful moment yes i just i was like whatever i'm never gonna talk to him again and that's kind of pretty much the position i'm gonna fuck him out of my life exactly i mean that's usually what ends up happening and i didn't i didn't I didn't, I liked him until I realized I didn't like him. And I realized that he was needy. And I realized that he was needy for something that I wasn't perhaps able to give him. And did you feel triggered by yes. what had you had been? I mean, yes. I would imagine a needy guy just makes your skin crawl. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It really does. I like a guy that's in control and in command, but I also don't have a problem taking on that caretaker role. Hmm. And, you know, one of the most, the hottest, most romantic thing a man has ever done, my ex-boyfriend, Michael, I was coughing all night in bed. We were living together and I was coughing and I came home from work coughing and, and, and I had, I drank Theraflu and it wasn't really working. And I was coughing, coughing, coughing. He got up in the middle of the night. It was storming outside, got on his motorcycle went to 7-Eleven and got me two bottles of different kinds of NyQuil 
and fed me NyQuil until my coughing subsided at like three in the morning. And I, to this day, even though we're no longer in a relationship and I don't have any feelings for him, I measure things up to that level. So for a man to do that for me felt like I just really felt, felt at the time like I won the jackpot. So when I'm, when I have issues with the current guy where like, you know, we went, we had dinner, like I took him to dinner for his birthday and he showed up to dinner in like torn jeans, a flannel and flip flops. I was like, this person, I love him, but he doesn't even try for me. You know, he doesn't try. He tries, he, he sort of puts the minimal effort in and whether it's an emotional thing that he can't do it and he can't sort of explain to me why and that's totally fair to him. He doesn't have to tell me why he can't commit to being a little bit more transparent about this relationship. The one thing I had uh, clarity in when the year, when I, we got into the new year was I don't think that I can continue to sort of be okay with this level of, of response from men to me. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be 36 on Saturday and I am becoming absent of the great career and, 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 and a, you know, a strong, firm future. Rom- romantically, I am becoming the woman that I feared that, uh, I, I would, I would fear other women at this age being like I when I was 26 and I would have a friend who was like 36 and just like you know making dumb decisions about guys I'd be like oh my god that's so terrible I don't want to be like you <laughs> and now I'm like you know I feel like people secretly talk about the fact that I I don't have a boyfriend or I haven't had a boyfriend or I don't go on dates um I get excited when I think that there's movement with this guy and then I immediately regret being excited about it because I immediately recognize that it's the effort is very half-hearted. Um, Have you ever done uh, any kind of trauma work around what what happened to you? I definitely went to therapy. Yeah, and I definitely saw a therapist. And I don't know that I've done trauma work, but I, you know, I've obviously mm-hmm. gone to talk therapy and 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 done the medication route and. You know, work, just going to work has always sort of been my therapy because I took a non-traditional, you know, route. I I went to college and then I got a job in college doing a job that was my major. So I said, well, fuck it. I'm just going to go work at this network since I was studying communications. And that's sort of where my career took off. So I didn't have like that traditional college experience. College for me was working at Tech TV and then moving here when I was 21 was sort of like, you know, that Madonna mo- moment where you just, this is your world now, take mm-hmm. it. I've been here for 15 years now, but I've, I've, I've definitely, the trauma itself has worked itself through me in good and bad ways. So I think, you know, but then every once in a while, just like, you know, it's just, just like a seam, it just seeps through mm-hmm. and just breaks. And I just have, you know, a complete meltdown and uh, I would, I would love to, you know, it doesn't happen very often. I mean, I'm talking about like maybe once every four or five years. Um, but 
I've learned to understand sort of what my limitations and boundaries are. I've never really put boundaries on myself, which is why I dated every type of guy. I mean, I've dated felons. I've dated models. I've dated, you know, men from all over the world. I've dated, you know, younger men. Um, but I've, you know, in all types of races of men and all in, in dealing with all different types of scenarios. But there's always a sort of a single... I, it always ends up becoming like I overpower mm-hmm. them. Do you have a um, sexual moments from your past that you put in the Rolodex? Oh, God, there's so many. Oh, gosh, there's so many. I think the Dutch guy. There was a guy that every year for like three or four years, he flew over to go to Birmingham. And I meant the, the mental Rolodex, you know, like if you're masturbating or something you you recall like a i recalled i'm just interested to know what with all the experiences that you've had and such a wide variety yeah what was it that kind of stuck in your noggin that that the one thing that i always stuck sticks (laughs) figurative and liberty literally um is the the guy from amsterdam because he was just a freak and like in what way he just has a huge penis and he was very proud of that and did it matter to you yes i'm a size queen yeah so it matters to me so how big are we talking probably like eight eight inches and definitely the whole girth thing but I would get, I would spend like a week getting ready for this entire session, which usually lasted like a, like, like four or five hours. Wow. So, I mean, literally like I would spend, um, like a week to prepare. I would like drink watermelon juice every day. I would like wax and shave and get an outfit and do my hair and get a facial like i was always like trying to be like if this is one day in a year one day a year it's like christmas another it's like second christmas this is like i'm gonna i'm gonna be ready for this and then he showed up in a flannel shirt and flip-flops not him not (laughs) him he had he was impeccably dressed but we never had any conversation outside of that. We It was just purely sexual. Yeah. He would email me or text me, and then I'd be like, yes. And then it just sort of stopped. Because I never sort of, again, I, don't, I didn't reach mm-hmm. out to him. I would just wait to see if he was going to email me or not. Or not. I wasn't like waiting by my email inbox for like a ding. I was just like, if he emailed, it was cool. But it was always like sort of a nice experience. I never had any designs that he was going to be my boyfriend. Never. It sounds kind of nice that you were both on the same page and it was just some good sport fucking. I don't. That's what I call it. Sport fucking. Yeah. I don't understand why most men don't believe me when I say that. So they have to believe me. If you if I cared, if I liked you, you'd know. So what was it about uh, other than he had a big or was it just that he had a big penis? Pretty much. Yeah. That's pretty much it. I mean, it's not like we had like a lot to talk about. He spoke English, broken, and um, he just had like a very closed off demeanor. And that turned you on? Yeah, because well, I never it was knew. the opposite of needy. I yeah, guess. it was the opposite of needy. And but but again, like a man doesn't have. If a man is emotionally expressive, I'm okay with that. Needy is different. Emotionally right. expressive is great. Um, 
and he was hot, just a hot Dutch guy. You know, European men are absolutely fantastic. I always encourage women to just <laughs> just try European men. They're just ridiculously attractive, and and especially you know because I'm as a woman of color, they're much more. It's not about that so much for them. It's just like they like women. Here, it's just like there's this options paralysis, and you have to fit into this this role. But for for, for European men, it's just like they just love women. You know, they love wild women. So um, I didn't, I, I never really just like, I mean, he sticks out as that experience. If we're talking about just like crazy, crazy, ridiculously wild sex like him, um, you know, the current guy, I mean, like it was definitely when we did do it, it's been over a year. It's been like more than a year. It was much more romantic and sensitive and and not conditional and you know exciting because we were excited mm-hmm. you know we were we were friends before we were lovers so we were friends for like two years and so then when it became that time and then i learned more about what he was dealing with that made it more important for me for him to feel loved and to have a connection so that's why it's confusing for me now that there is like, you know, I want him to take care of himself and to focus on that. And obviously as a parent, it's that's his most important, you know, priority. But, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's like our needs are not aligned. Our needs are just aren't aligned because I, I wasn't really recognizing my needs. I was recognizing his needs before mine. And then I said, wait a second, I'm existing. I don't know where the clarity came from, but I was like, I need this. And I can't get it from him. So why should I burden him with that? Thank God you you woke up to that. That some people spend their entire lives trying to get water from an empty well. No. And think, I'm going to change this person. I'm, if I can just be more spectacular, they'll see. And no, I'm, ever, I'm all that in a bag of chips. I know that. <laughs> so I know that it's just not going to happen. I haven't told him yet. So I don't know how that's, I think, is the biggest problem for me. I don't know how to have that conversation. It's a mature conversation that needs to be had. But I want to be able to say to him, and this is one of my fears and vulnerabilities, I don't like to be, I don't like to finalize things because I don't want people to feel, I don't want to, I never want to leave someone, especially someone who's as raw as he is, to feel like he's lo- he's losing an ally. So I... But I, but I honestly can't do this anymore, and I, and I, and I don't mean it in a mean way. I mean yeah. like I, I can't live my life wondering if you're going to come around. You deserve more, right? Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share before we do some fears and loves? Oh, that I am am that I'm secure. I think that comes across. I mean, you, you have your foibles like we all do, yeah. but um, there, there's like an inner. Uh, inner strength. I mean, that came across when I when I met you at the yeah. at the podcast, which is yeah. why I thought you'd make a. Uh, and, and yet, there's also a vulnerability there, yeah. which uh, um, I always think makes for a, a compelling. I'm a, a compelling complex guest. character. You are. <laughs> <laughs> you are a beautiful mosaic. Thank you. <laughs> of pain and pride. Oh yes, hallelujah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, give me some fears. 
Death. The pain or the nothingness? The nothingness of death. The fact that you experience and intake all this stuff on a day-to-day basis, and then one day it won't even matter because you won't even know that it's not happening anymore. And reincarnation. God forbid I'm reincarnated as like a fly. Then it's like 22 days, death. And then it's like... Uh, mine is, that it, you know, it's going to be a terrible village in India with, uh, you know, water that just gives you diarrhea. Yeah, or and- Iraq. And then I'm like, or, or the cartel. I don't know. Like, I just... That sucks. And I just I just hate the idea that it that's how we have to go out. Yeah. I wouldn't mind being like a dolphin or something as long as you don't get caught in a net that just seems like a can't even be a whale these days you know Mm -hmm. they're like at the bottom of the sea you're just constantly in a state of like fighting i wouldn't mind living to be 120 even though i would not be able to do shit give me another fear um never falling in love again that's a deep one yeah Never being able to meet someone or connect with someone in the time that I would like. I don't want to, I, I, this sounds terrible, but I don't want to be one of those women that are like, she's a 45 year old bride. I just don't want to, I would love to have hopefully young love again, just freedom without this need to like move everything down, like the mortgages and the babies and everything along because we're running out of time. That's a big fear. I'm afraid that my happiest days are behind me. Wow. I just started thinking about that. About my about me. About your happiest yeah. days being It's pretty behind. visible. <laughs> it's pretty you can see the worry on my face. Boy, there's a guy that looks like his happiest days are behind him. Let's go do this podcast. Christ. How am I gonna get myself out of this one? Sitting across from Sad Sack. Oh gosh. <laughs> what else? Um what else am I afraid of? Yeah. Well, lately, uh, my back has been bad for like seven days. Yeah. And um, I, I have a, I got an MRI once and yeah. the technician said, you know, you have spinal stenosis, which is a very narrow spinal column. Okay. And which uh, means, among other things, um, I had another doctor say, don't Google it because you will, you don't Google it. Uh, so I haven't. But, um, get a lot of pinched nerves you get yeah. you know stuff stuff like that and um it's i'm just starting to feel old degenerative yeah and today i pictured myself like am i gonna have a cane or a walker like oh, in my mid 50s yeah. yeah um yeah but then again i just played two hours of hockey an hour right ago and it loosened up yeah and i'm not feeling pain right now but when i wake up in the morning i feel like a 70 year old man oh yeah. i'm 69 so it's not that bad but <laughs> that's another thing i'm worried i'm worried about my mom and dad getting old it's hard to watch them how old are they my mother's gonna be 65 my father's gonna be 68 and they still have the mindset of the people that I, I remember from the very mm-hmm. first day I met them. Are they still in San Francisco? Yeah. They're still married. But they the things that they complain about are so different than when <laughs> I was they were my age. So I just you know, I worry about them. What does your mom teach? Yes ESL, English as a second language. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I worry about them now more than ever. 
let's let's do some loves. Mm-hmm. Give me some some things that you love. I love. I love. <laughs> this is really weird. I love my bed. But it, winter. If anybody <laughs> gets that, it's me. If anybody gets that, I understand that. Oh, anybody man. with anxiety or depression, I have to take an anxiety nap every single afternoon. Yeah. I'm not even tired. I've only been up for me four too. hours. Me too. But I just can't take. I can't take the it. pressure of living. Yeah. Yeah. I need a break. Not in like a suicidal. Nope. I, I have no desire to commit suicide. Nope. I just have to lock the world out for that hour, and it recharges my battery. I get up, I have tea, and I'm like, okay. I didn't realize that that how how vital that was to one's life is I always just, I always feel weak when I do it though. I feel like I'm no. giving giving up. I feel like Elizabeth Taylor, to be honest. Yeah. I feel like freaking Elizabeth Taylor or um what's the name of the producer and I love him, Robert Evans. Yes, so make sure you cut. Uh, I I feel like Elizabeth Taylor or Robert Evans because I felt like they commanded so much power from their bedrooms in their in in the in doing business like I just feel like that I just pretend like I'm Frank Sinatra because that's why I demanded an office because I said I have to get out of this bed I'm in bed every day um, and I need to get out of it so I love my I love bedtime I love the process of bedtime I loved it more when I I loved it more when I had a partner um, because it was always so exciting and fun to get into bed with someone else but what's your your favorite position sleeping on your side on your back on your stomach I'm now doing the whole on my back thing because I'm the vanity is kicking in. So what does that do? Well, if you sleep on your face, they say it ages, it, it pulls on your face. So, mm. so now I'm prone to sleeping on my back so I can preserve whatever collagen I'm still developing in my face. Um, so I love bedtime. I love, um, music. I love listening to music and telling people what music I'm listening to. What are you listening to? I listen to a lot of Drake because Drake is to me, I don't know where he, he's like, he's, he's a rapper, but he's not, but he's a crooner, but he's not, but he's Canadian. But his music seems to touch on like a level that it makes me feel like he's, he and I are having like a conversation and so I love listening to to Drake. I love listening to Tame Impala. And Rihanna just did an, an amazing cover of their song, Same Old Mistakes, um, on her new album. Um, but I listen to a lot of classic rock. A lot of classic rock. A lot. I of, remember us talking that on, yeah. on Pop Rock. Yeah. And that was one of the things you were like, people don't think uh, uh, black, black girl, girls listen to uh, classic rock. I like... L- Guns N' Roses being at Coachella is probably the single most exciting thing of 2016 for me. There's got to be, music-wise, music-wise. They're they're reunited, Guns N' Roses. They're reunited, Guns N' Roses. Original lineup. Original lineup. I mean, like, they can bring Buckethead out, too, if they want. But, like, I love that. And the idea that I have to limber up for April, because I do not want to pull anything. Because I almost pulled something at Arcade Fire last year, but... Again, that kind of goes back to what you were talking about, the fear of aging. That's just, you know, whenever I I used to be able to do like all-nighters and be like fresh as a daisy. And now if you keep me up all night, I'm I'm forgetting things. My brain is not working. I'm very angry. Um, So I love music. Um, I love, and those are kind of generic, but I love... You got detailed about them, though. Yeah. I, I, I love... I love living. 
I love being able to have the chance to reinvent myself when I need to and having sort of like the temerity to do so and and without anyone's permission. I've never really asked anyone permission to just be myself and I feel like I can always sort of redeem myself because I feel like if you know me, you know that I have a good heart. And I'm currently dealing with someone that was a friend who's sort of like trying to sabotage me. And I felt like if you know me, you know that I'm not, would never stab you in the back. And, but I don't owe you anything. So, so the idea of you sabotaging me, it's just super petty. So just coming to the point in my life where I can give myself a day or so to complain about it and whine about it and be mad about it and maybe be a little bit paranoid about it, but I definitely move on from things a lot faster. So just having the experience of life to give me, to guide me through moving past things. I love the first bite of a cone of Ben and Jerry's uh, Cherry Garcia. And when you get a little piece of the fudge and you bite down and you get that little explosive, super dark chocolate taste. <laughs> and then the next bite you get it, you find a cherry, especially a big piece of cherry. Oh, see, now I want to get some Ben and Jerry's. I had Chunky fish, Monkey. fish food last night, which is uh, probably my favorite. I love Sushi? Oh, no, no fish, fish food. Fish food. Ben oh, and so Jerry's. And, and I love Jerry's. finding a marshmallow in fish food. That's like one of my favorite things. So if we're going there, then I would say that I really love Jelly Bellies. Jelly Bellies. What's your favorite flavor? Green, green apple. And sometimes if I am like down to my last green apple, I'll just leave it in my mouth and like suck all the, 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 the candy part off just until it gets to the jelly part because I just want to savor it. But I, I bought like a three pound bag of them and I just I mean ever since I was like five years old those are like my favorite things I cannot eat any other kind of candy that's the only that's like my sacrifice what's your favorite movie of all time oh Jesus hmm or the most underrated movie of all time I love everything Gosh, what's underrated? You know, Vanilla Sky. Oh. Vanilla Sky. We're done. <laughs> we are done. Are we done? Did I screw up? Did I screw <laughs> you didn't up? Screw up. I just I thought it was just a a movie that and I love when Cameron Crowe is good, he's so good. But Vanilla Sky was just like Someone's I watched it the other night and it gave me an anxiety attack and I've seen it a billion times and I think the reason it did is because I saw something different in it and I saw that it was dealing with mortality, vanity, insecurity, power, uh, loss of control. There's all sorts of control. No wonder issues. I hated it. Yeah, yeah. There's also the, the the whole control issues are just teeming out of that movie like not having control not having control have you ever seen i'm sure the listeners are tired of me talking about this movie but i think it's maybe one of the most perfect movies ever made uh broadcast news um yeah right i am i told holly hunter that you met her yes and i told her and she thought it was hilarious that there are so many moments where I like give a directive, give an order and, and feel like I have to and then cry 
because why did you make me have to be this asshole? You know? That it, that it might be the the... I think it's one. I don't know if it was it's build, a perfect movie. Build as a romantic comedy. Yeah, it was. But it, it, it's like it has a romantic comedy in it. It has this social criticism. Yeah. It has this uh, prescience yeah. about where corporate news is going. Yeah. It's a. It, it's amazing. It has a Jack Nicholson cameo in it. it. And the acting and the writing and it's James L. Brooks. Who oh is, yeah. Who is a. A genius. A genius. A genius. I always and identify... Albert Brooks. And Albert Brooks. He's at his best. Oh, my God. That whole s- segment mm-hmm. where they're trying to talk on the phone and she's too busy to talk to him. Oh, just, it's... It's heartbreaking. I love that movie so, 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 oh, so I'm much. Glad. I'm glad you like that so, one. So, so much. I love that movie so much. I definitely... Yeah. Um, I know what I wanted to ask yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Weigh in on the white Oscars this year oh gosh you know what's interesting and i got flame for this on the pop rocket facebook group but i don't care about the fact this is sort of along this subject but you know joseph fine is going to play michael jackson in this in this documentary what Uh, (laughs) he's going to play michael jackson in this not documentary but in this movie about Michael Jackson Bi- biopic. biopic of Michael Jackson and Marlon Brando and Elizabeth Taylor after 9-11 they drove across the country together well I could see him towards the end of his well, career because no, he but, looked yes, more exactly. like a Caucasian than yes that's what I'm saying this was this was post 9-11 uh, Michael was firmly in that you know creepy creepy you so know, you defended that casting choice and you got shit for it yeah I don't look Let's let's look. Let's not pretend like Michael Jackson looked like freaking Shaft at the very end. And I know Michael Jackson said, always said, even at that point when he looked like the way he was looking, that he was a proud black man. But he did not look like that. And that is not what I saw. And that's not what a lot of the black community saw. They saw somebody who did not want to be black. And it didn't stop us from loving him, but we needed to know what was going on. And, you know, for someone to transition that far from, you know, my mom and dad grew up with Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5. So this was like very hard for them to stomach. It was like, like, what are we processing here? What is happening? Even as cultured as cultured as my mom I and was, dad are. I was upset by it. And yeah, and I'm white because yeah. I remember seeing him, the Jackson 5, when I was a little. We're, yeah. we're roughly the same age. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it was disturbing. Yeah. It was disturbing. Disturbing. So, that, but it's his choice. If it, it was his choice, and this is their choice to do this. It's kind of hilarious. I think it's kind of funny. Now, the Oscars, I mean, listen, I... Did you see uh, Beasts of No Nation? I haven't seen that yet. It's amazing. I've seen it's everything amazing. else. And it's how... That wasn't one of the best movies, or uh, Idris is a... Idris, 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 Elba, Idris Elba. Elba, how he was not nominated, or That's nobody a from slap to Netflix though, and nobody from uh, Straight Outta Compton. Well, that and really yet, hurt. And yet, Bridge of Spies gets nominated. A very, very run of the mill movie. I'll put it to you this way: that this, yes, there's racism. There's 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 a problem, and it exists, and for sure. But I also have to account for the fact that there is two an age 
class issue here. Absolutely. The Academy has a lot of old people. Old people who don't know how to use Netflix, much less they're going to watch Beasts of No Nation. And, 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 and not understand straight out of Compton's. And not understand The waves it. that it, that it made. But the thing is, is what they remember about Straight Outta Compton is what I too remember about Straight Outta Compton because I had I had the 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 luxury of my parents are very moderate. They're liberal, but they're moderate. So as much as they definitely were liked the music, appreciated the music, Tipper Gore was in their ear just as loudly. And 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 the rest of the those who were against it talking about like, you know, but is this what we want our children listening to? There were some arguments to be made against it. Doesn't mean that I didn't. I, I agreed with it. I loved NWA. I loved that movie. I, I don't know if you know, but I worked with the director on his social media for it. So I think the Academy. This was a, this was this is. There is a diversity issue for sure. There's also an issue of we don't understand this new model. And we're going to do our best to not reward it because we don't understand. So if we can't, if we, if we, they think they're thinking archaically, they're thinking like, you know, the seventies, we could, you know, United Artists obviously was created with, with all, with everybody coming, all the, all the actors coming together and building this studio together. And, and. You don't mean in the seventies, you mean like in the thirties. I said the seventies and the thirties, but I'm just, I don't know why I said United Artists, but I'm just thinking like back in the seventies when the sexiness of Hollywood sort of came back into vogue. And now if people were, you know, the drugs and all this other stuff, it was just starting to be like a heyday type scenario where you can be a little bit more avant-garde and make these independent films and sort of go off the studio system. Back then you can, can still wrangle it and control it and have it come back into the industry and still be able to have the glitz and the glamour associated with it. And then the studio and the Academy got all the accolades. They're like, Oh wow, cool. We made this look cool. That's why uh, Cheryl Boone Isaacs makes note of it, like how in the 70s, they sort of, this has happened before it happened in the 70s. And then in the 80s, the age of the blockbuster, right? And the super producer who and, just, right. I always just think of the worst of the Simpson Bruckheimers. That day right. is the right. the 80s. Right. It's just, oh, all the, they took all the, the, the studios and the producers took all the power back from, and it, you could blame it on Heaven's Gate. Uh, you, yeah, oh, you can totally blame it on Heaven's Gate. You 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 couldn't blame it on Cleopatra, Elizabeth, Elizabeth yeah. Taylor, and um, Richard Burton were still big stars after that. That was the yeah. studio's issue, not their issue. I mean, but then it became like, you know, maybe it is our issue. And so I understand like how the studios are afraid to sort of give give away power to some upstart online or somebody, service, or, yeah, or somebody that has one hit, right? Know, yeah. Right. Give me one more love to wrap it up. Mm. I love Los Angeles. That's the first time anybody has said this on the podcast, and I do too. Yeah. I love Los Angeles. You yeah. can avoid what you hate about it yes. and find what you like about it. Exactly. Yeah. I love this city. I there was a time where I was like, what the hell did I make? Why did I come down here? I miss San Francisco. And the more time I've spent in San Francisco, even though I was born and raised there, that's my home. This is my home. This is my second home. It's my home now, but I love this city. It's just so it's always revealing itself and evolve. It's like a pan. Uh, no, no, no. It's like a, 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 a 
it's like the thing in um Hellraiser that's always like changing and you change it and shape shifting. The shape shifting. It shape shifts mm-hmm. and it and it and it does it in a very sneaky, not like loud way. You know, when when somebody's making a decision to build something in New York and in San Francisco or, the, or larger cities, there's always like this big, huge announcement. But LA kind of has this way of just saying, we're going to do this. Okay, it's done. And all of a sudden you drive into a neighborhood and it's different. It's and you're different. like, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. And there's never like, you know, and, and I kind of like its stick to about it. They always say that we're so lazy on the West Coast and we move at a slower pace, but I think we just kind of like, we're just, we're just doing it, man. I feel like that's our. You know, it's it's New York is like, we're doing it. We're doing it. This is what we're going to do. And L.A. is like, we're just doing it, man. We're just going to do it. And that's kind of what I love about this city. Winter Mitchell, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, your Twitter handle? Is Winter Mitchell. W-Y-N-T-E-R-M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L. Mm-hmm. Um, your website? Do you want them to go to your website? No, because no? I never update it. Me neither. You can find me on Snapchat, though. I'm Winter yeah. Mitchell on Snapchat. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming by and thank sharing you your life with us. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you. Many, many thanks to Winter. And of course, as you know, I'm listening to the episode, I was like, we're using the word pedophile incorrectly. If you listen to the previous week's episode with uh, uh, Don Howell, who's a sex crime detective, um, you, you learn all the lingo about what is so technically um, uh, that perpetrator was a hebophile, I believe. I don't know. I'll flowchart it and I'll get back to you. Um, Before we get to some surveys, I want to remind you guys that there are a couple of different ways to support our show. If you feel so inclined, you can go to our website, mentalpod.com, and make either a one-time PayPal donation or, my favorite, uh, become a recurring monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month. doesn't seem like a lot uh, to you, but it means the world to me, and it helps keep the podcast going. Um, also, you can support us by using our Amazon search portal, uh, enter through our website, and then if you're going to buy something at Amazon, they'll give you a couple of nickels. Um, actually, man, my, where's my brain tonight? If you uh, buy something at Amazon, they'll give us a couple of nickels, and it doesn't uh, doesn't cost you anything. I'm very scattered. Um, and you can help the web... <laughs> What is the matter with me? Herbert, I need to stare into your butthole to calm down. He's nowhere to be seen. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, you can you can help us by spreading the word through social media. That helps bring more listeners to the show, and that means, uh, that means a lot. Not only to me, but to people all over the world. Um... I want to give some love to one of our sponsors, Audible.com. If you guys have never checked out an audiobook, you are missing out. There is a whole world of fantastic literature out there that you are missing out on. If you love podcasts, audiobooks are custom-made for you. Um, the Audible.com app, it's free. It works on iPhones, iPad, Android, uh, Windows Phone, and you can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike uh, a streaming or a rental service uh, with Audible, you own your own books so that you can check them out anytime you want and uh, anywhere right from your smartphone. Uh, 
Another cool thing, audible.com has a great listen guarantee. So if you decide that you're not digging the book that you chose, no worries. You can exchange it at any time and uh, you can get another title, no questions asked. Uh, just a couple of suggestions of books that I've downloaded and loved. Uh, Martin Short's, uh, I must say. Uh, the thing that's great about it, too, is uh, when you download books by comedians, most of the time they're the ones that narrate it, and that's an extra plus. And an amazing book, one of the favorite books that I've I've ever um, enjoyed is The Innovators, How a Group of Hackers, Geniuses, and Geeks Created the Digital Revolution. It's by Walter Isaacson, and he is one of my favorite authors. He, man, when he covers a subject, he really researches it. And um, if you want to fully understand Silicon Valley and its history, check that out. And uh, just for listeners, audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership. So go to audible.com slash mental today to start your free trial. And again, show your support for the Mental Illness Happy Hour and get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash mental. I want to also give some love to uh, good therapy. I love good therapy. There is nothing as important as a good search engine for finding a therapist. Um, as I said before, I get emails all the time from people that don't know where to begin to find a therapist. And goodtherapy.org is the most trusted online resource for finding a therapist. Uh, mental health, emotional, and communication problems are just a, a, a few of the things that can really fuck people up. Um and it can be little irritations to deeply buried resentments, um, guilt, disappointment, anger, shit that's just so buried deep down there, trauma. We didn't even know to begin how to process it. And a meeting with a therapist or counselor is where healing really begins. Since 2007, goodtherapy.org has helped millions of people find qualified counselors and therapists. And there is hope. There are people who care and change is possible. So find the right therapist for you or your family at goodtherapy.org. And finally, our final bit of love that we're going to give out is uh, for Squarespace. Squarespace has um, been behind the Mental Illness Happy Hour from the beginning, and uh, I don't think there's there's another advertiser that has given us as much support and has been behind the podcasting community from the get-go. And what's even more awesome is Squarespace has a great product. Um, whether you're creating a website, a portfolio, or an online store, it's super simple. They have templates that are beautiful and look professional. Um, forget about trying to create your own website. I've gone that route. It is a pain in the ass, confusing. You depend on people who are unreliable. Um, go to uh, paul-gilmartin.squarespace.com and uh, check out the website that I put up. Um, did it myself in about an hour or two. It's just musical snippets that I wrote and play and uh, pictures I took of my favorite dogs at a dog park. Um, it's I love, I love Squarespace. It's just the greatest way to get your soul out there on the internet. Um, you get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. And uh, what are you waiting for? Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code MENTAL to get 10% off your first purchase. Let's get to the gigantic stack of surveys that we have. Um, I think I think this show might be clocking in as uh, a big one. I have said that already. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a young woman who calls herself M. She's 16. She's straight. 
she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, she's never been sexually abused, but she has been emotionally abused and not sure if she's been physically abused. She writes, I've never been hit, but sometimes when my father would get drunk, he would invade my space and yell at me. When I tried to move away or go into the next room, he would follow me and continue screaming at me. As you can imagine, it's scary for a young girl to be up against a drunk and angry grown man. I would consider that physical abuse. Uh, any positive experiences with your abuser? I loved going to his office, he's a doctor, because he was always so nice to me there. Only recently did I realize that it was because he needed to keep up his appearance of the perfect Christian family and the loving father. Darkest thoughts. Things that I would say to him or other people that have hurt me. I wish I hadn't been born. Um, darkest secrets. Uh, Self-harm for one, and I lie a lot, and then in parentheses, for no reason. Um, I would imagine this not for no reason. I would imagine you... you find yourself lying because it, emotionally it helps you cope and brings you a sense of uh, control. And I don't know. I'm no therapist, but as I like to say, I did cook chicken on basic cable. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I could tell my father how pathetic he is. I wish I could tell my friends about the things that I've experienced in my mental illness. What, if any, anything, do you wish for? I wish I could be happy and achieve what I want to. If you shared these things with others, only a therapist and my brother. Well, that is an awesome start, M. That is a great start. And the fact that you're seeking, the fact that you listen to this podcast and you are um, aware of what it is your feelings, what you're feeling, um, that's huge. That's really huge. When I was your age, I had no idea what I was in, even even feeling. Um, I couldn't recognize any kind of dysfunction. So, um just keep keep doing what you're doing. Before you know it, you'll be out of your house and away from your narcissistic dad. And um, sending you some sending you some love. This is uh, struggle in a sentence filled out by an agender uh, person who calls themselves Aaron and about their anxiety. You haven't thought of the worst case scenario yet. Let's spend twenty minutes in a cold sweat doing that before we go into that job interview. And then a snapshot from Aaron's life. Five days before my 29th birthday, my partner of nine years says she is leaving and taking my son because she doesn't support me not having a gender and she thinks I am just dramatic. Immediately, I'm back in that damn shame spiral of self-hatred and anger at the world that is standing outside a bomb shelter in Afghanistan, smoking, hoping the damn terrorists will get it right and end my misery. Wow, that is, that is heavy. It is heavy. Sending you some love, Aaron. <laughs> I love this guy's name. He calls his name is Insecurity Guard Two. This time it's personal. Fuck, that makes me laugh. Um, if you remember, he he did a survey for us previously where it was Insecurity Guard One. Actually, it didn't call it One. You don't need to call it One when it's the first one. About his anxiety, the transmission went out and the engine is just revving uselessly. Comments to make the podcast better? Start a Herbert's Butthole for President campaign. Use the podcast as a platform. We need some better options, Paul. Um, Herbert has not yet thrown his butthole in the ring, but when he does, I will apprise you of the situation. And um, I would be proud to be his running mate. Although I'm not sure I would want to share a touring bus with Herbert's Butthole. Um... This is an awful, and for those of you that don't know that uh, Herbert is one of the two dogs we have, Ivy is the other. 
This was filled out by uh, Blackbird. This is an awful moment survey. And she writes, My little brother passed away after a very short illness 14 years ago. I was 14 and he was 5. It broke my family into a thousand pieces that we've never been able to put right. I was already a sad and strange girl, made sadder and stranger with the weight of the incomprehensible loss I felt. My friends did their best to help me, but there really wasn't anything anyone could say. One day I was walking in the hallway when an acquaintance walked up to me and said, It's okay. I know how you feel. My dog died last year. <laughs> oh, awful some. Awful some. For those of you that are new to the podcast, uh, awful some is a, something that was awful at the time, but uh, kind of awesomely funny in hindsight. I like how I made that dramatic. In hindsight, like I'm wrapping up the local news. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Mood Disorder NOS Girl. Um, and for those of you that don't know, uh, NOS means not otherwise specified, right? Yeah. She is 13 years old. Um, she is not sure of um, her sexuality. She, where does it say, which, uh, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, um, never been sexually abused, uh, not sure if she's been emotionally abused um, or physically abused. She writes, I was raised in a household that never allowed me to have any negative feelings and I developed anorexia to cope. My mom doesn't believe that I have a serious mental illness, even though I had one suicide gesture, numerous words exchanged about it, and countless thoughts. She doesn't even believe that I had a psychotic break. Oh, my God. Uh, darkest thoughts. That I wish I could just slap my mom in the face and say, I have issues, Mom. Darkest secrets. When I was seven years old, I broke the mirror in the bathroom and blamed it on the cat. Uh, what, if anything, do you wish for? Uh, I wish to be happy. Have you shared these things with others? I've only talked a little bit with my therapist. She agrees that my mom doesn't get mental health. She comes from a Korean background where mental health isn't really appreciated. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel crappy that I am bad-mouthing my mom after what she has done to me. I've watched my mom hit my sister and yell at her for not wanting to study. I have mixed feelings about her because she can be the most loving person ever. And, you know, you you... You nailed it in a in a nutshell there, um, which is that people can be both awesome and fucking horrible. And, you, you know, your mom doesn't sound like a malicious person. She sounds like a frightened person that doesn't have the tools to cope. And here's the good news is you are. You are seeing a therapist and you are breaking the cycle. And I just want to fucking high five you. Uh, this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Thomas. He's straight. Uh, and actually, that doesn't matter for... Uh, I never read that part. I just read the name for a struggle in a sentence. Um, about being a sex crime victim, he writes, My brother forced me to perform oral sex and digitally penetrated my rectum when I was six. He was 12. I told my mother and she called the police. The city wasn't going to prosecute him because, quote, boys will be boys, though eventually did because he had previously solicited sex from a girl. He was taken away and I've only seen him twice since, which I feel grateful for. Also, both my sisters coerced me into performing oral sex on them in the same time frame as my brother was abusing me. Oh, buddy, I'm so sorry. 
I've only ever told my wife and a few friends about what my sisters did to me. It confuses me so much that I don't hate them like I hate my brother. Man, there is so much stuff about sexual trauma that is confusing and doesn't make sense on the surface, and that's okay. Um, and then a snapshot from his life, and, and I wanted to read all that previous stuff, even though it wasn't you know, technically a struggle in the sentence, um, because I think it informs this snapshot from his life, which is uh, very moving to me. He writes, uh, I'm at work, first day of my very first job, and as I'm being shown how to work the grill, my body betrays me. My hands become icicles, and I feel heavily dizzy. I manage to maintain long enough to cook the order. Later, I am taken to the register and shown how to take orders and process payments. Financial transactions are one of my greatest sources of anxiety, and this is the final blow. Sweaty and distant, I plod through the tutorial I'm being given until I am able to speak with the manager. We step outside, and I break down. Bawling, I tell her about my anxiety and how I don't think I can work there. She looks at me with confusion and irritation, gives me $20 for my time, and goes back inside. Oh, buddy, just want to give you a hug. And you know, I say all the time on this podcast that we teach algebra in high school, but we don't teach us, teach ourselves or our kids how to recognize and express their emotions. And if we did, I think, A, maybe Thomas would be further along in his healing. But even more importantly, that person that he was talking to would have been more understanding of what he was going through and wouldn't have shamed him or been irritated by what he was experiencing. Um, this is a, another struggle in a sentence filled out by Cammy about her depression. She writes, the glass wall between me and the rest of my life. What kind of depression? The persistent kind. About her anxiety. Uh, my agoraphobia. I don't sweat the big stuff, but I fear the supermarket checkout line. Oh, I so get that. I so get that. I can, I can have things, you know, go to the doctor's office and have something, you know, completely out of whack, my blood out of whack, or um, something that would throw somebody else into a complete tailspin, and I, I won't even think about it. I won't even think about it, but I get anxiety about, oh, if I go to that event, where am I going to park? About her codependency, Uh, maybe if I am more perfect, my parents will make time for me when I was a kid. That's fantastic. Thank you for that. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself fat but not worthless, and she writes, my husband and I were out for a dinner date. He bought me a beautiful dress, and I felt uncomfortable wearing it since I've gained a lot of weight since starting grad school. I started telling him how I feel like this weight gain overshadows all the accomplishments I've made, and he said, your weight doesn't influence how much your students love you, how great you are at school, and what a wonderful woman you are. The people who it does matter to don't matter. This made me cry. Every change in my life has been tagged by my mother telling me how much weight I will lose or gain. It was nice to hear that my accomplishments can stand on their own merit and not be measured by the size of my belt. Awesome. Awesome. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Snow Cow. He is gay. 
He's in his 20s. He was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. He's never been sexually abused, but he has been emotionally abused. He writes, every time my ex-boyfriend and I used to fight while we were together, he would always win our fights and shame me for things I had done or said. The fact that he was so, uh, was so charismatic and good at arguing his case made me feel shameful and speechless, which eventually would make me mad, uh, so I would push him or smash things to get my anger, shame, and frustration out. To this, of course, my ex used to tell me it was proof that I was crazy and out of my mind, hence making my shame spirally, spiral literally into a crazy dark place. I realized I didn't make things any better by expressing my anger this way, and in a lot of ways I was abusive as well by expressing myself that way. At least that's what my ex told me. Uh, I just wish I could have been able to control myself and that he could have been more empathetic towards me. Any positive experiences with the abuser? I still have certain feelings towards my ex, and there are moments where I blame myself for ruining the relationship. I try to keep reminding myself that I am better now and I don't have mood swings anymore and have not experienced such intense rage and shame as when I was with him to remind myself of why I left him. Darkest thoughts. Sometimes I just wish I would get hit by a car or die in some other quick and hasteful way because I am too much of a coward to end my own life. Darkest secrets. I am so ashamed of my scars I got after cutting myself in shame and anger towards myself for acting out in anger during fights with my ex. Every time someone sees the scars on my arms, which I try to cover up as much as possible, I am reminded of my lack of self-control and terrible anger issues. So I always have to come up with some unbelievable lie about burning myself or being cut by accident. And you know, my thought is... You know, it's not about your lack of self-control and terrible anger issues. It's about the pain. It's about the pain and the fact that you didn't have um, coping skills at that time. You know, that's like blaming somebody that drowned, um, but they didn't have a life jacket. I'm not, I'm not crazy about that analogy. I'm going to get into a time machine and uh, go race that one. Continuing, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. The ones where I can be completely submissive and let myself lose control. It makes me feel ashamed of myself sharing it with others, wanting to be passive, and someone taking advantage of. I think he meant to say taking advantage of me. Uh, oh, I see. Wanting to be passive and someone to take advantage of. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I was able to tell my friends and family more directly how much they mean to me. I'm ashamed of myself for not being able to be more vocal about this, and I'm scared they won't appreciate me if I don't, but get scared, think I'm weird, and pull away if I do. To which I will say, I don't know if I have ever heard of an instance of somebody being told that they're appreciated and reacting negatively. I can't think of one. I can't think of one. But I understand that it's scary. People that you've never been vulnerable around, <clears throat> being vulnerable around them for the first time is scary. But that's also part of why the payoff is so great when you're met with uh, that good energy from them. What, if anything, do you wish for? To not be so fucking self-aware all the fucking time. Uh, have you shared these things with others? Some friends I share things with. I share it with people who have already shared things with me, which, again, makes me feel safe about trusting them. When I have, it 
has always been amazing and I've really been able to remove myself from my constant self-awareness and shame. Um, and then he feels narcissistic after writing these things down. That's not, that's not narcissistic, you know, that's not nar- narcissistic. Thank you for that. Let me take a swig of water. This is Struggle in a Sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself hiding in plain sight and about her depression. She writes, uh, treatment-resistant major depression. As much as I dislike the gaping hole of emptiness that swallows me when depression makes me its bitch, it will always feel like wrapping myself up in my favorite sweater. Man, do I relate to that one. That was a really good one. And then uh, uh, she she writes... Um, Support groups. How in the hell do you have a healthy support group experience if you have codependency tendencies? Attending an eater, eating disorder support group has always made me worse as the natural, albeit fucked up, tendency for competitive behaviors present themselves. To which I would say, if you get a sponsor or a mentor right out of the gate and begin to connect to people in that support group, then you can talk to them about those feelings of competitiveness that come up. Um, there, There is no issue that's brought up in a support group that you can't talk to somebody about. Um, some people are better than others to talk about you or to you know, talk about it with your therapist, but that's that stuff is the gold that, that really um, helps us find out what's going on inside us. So use it. Use those times of discomfort and jealousy and anger. Um, that's that's how we get to the bottom of what's really going on with us. Um, this, this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself Small Dick Sissy. I, I am a fan right away. Um, about living with an abuser, he write, writes, uh, my wife doesn't validate. I pay full price every day. Um, and then a snapshot from his life. Looking down at a bowlful uh, of Fruity Pebbles cereal, it's actually all my psych meds dumped from their bottles. Boy, that is a uh, that is a visual. Thank you for that. Thank you. This is filled out by um, <laughs> his name is so fucked up. A guy. This is a happy moment uh, survey, and this is filled out by a guy who calls himself who wears shorts. Short shorts, Paul wears short shorts in my imagination. And uh, his happy moment, he writes, I have two dogs. I absolutely love them. I've had one for three years, and that is how long I have gone without having a serious suicidal thought. I got a dog door for them so they don't have to beg just to pee. I woke up this morning to a dog wanting to snuggle. That's pretty normal. However, it wasn't one of my dogs. I had three dogs on my bed, one who I'd never seen before. He had part of a strong tie-down on his collar. I had, uh, he had no ID tags. He was just so happy, playing with my dogs and playing with me. I got him back to his home less than a half hour later, but it was just so great to wake up with an odd problem and not worry about it at all. God, that might be one of my favorite happy moments. That is so awesome. Uh, this is just a... Um, 
excerpt from a shame and secret survey caused uh, filled out by a woman who, who calls herself, this is causing me anxiety. And um, she was sexually abused and never reported it. Um, and it was a step-grandfather. And Darkest Thoughts, she writes, a big one that I would never share is having sexual fantasies about my abuser. Not thinking, uh, not thinking about what happened uh, when I was a kid so much as thinking about seducing him as an adult. I'm not sure if this is common or not, but it makes me feel disgusting. And if I ever get off thinking about it, uh, I immediately feel like taking a shower. I feel like something is wrong with me that I would think about him in that way. To which I want to say it's extremely common and I have gone through the same thing and um, I just laugh about it. I just laugh about it. Um, that sometimes I just try to be amused by my brain and my sexual desires and to not judge them. And I encourage you to do the same. You are a completely um, uh, healthy human being for your brain reacting uh, in that way. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself binging on broccoli. And about her depression, she writes, I feel tired, helpless, and scared all the time, but it's never bad enough to go ask for help. Snapshot from her life. I feel like functioning and keeping my shit together is killing me. I have a hard time asking for help, and every time I do, I feel completely unable to accept it. I'm 25, and for the past 10 years, I've had exactly one friend who doesn't even know about my depression. My family knows but keeps gaslighting me and telling me it's not that bad. To which I would say, get some distance between you and your family and get into a support group. Maybe one for codependency. I mean, the fact that you have such a hard time asking for help, that to me is a red flag that there might be some some codependency in there. I know there's some great support groups out there for um, adult uh, adults who were raised in uh, dysfunctional families. This is uh, filled out by Regina Falange. I don't know if that's a real name or not, but um, she uh, struggles with alcoholism and drug addiction. In a snapshot from her life, she writes, I was so desperate for the drug, I agreed to snort it from the toilet floor in the bar. Man, the visuals that you guys provide are amazing. Thank you for sharing that. This is a vacation argument uh, survey filled out by Jane, and she writes, We were in Sri, uh, Sri Lanka uh, with my parent and three sisters in our teens at the, I think she might have meant parents because I think there's two parents there, uh, at the most upmarket restaurant in town. Silver trays, white gloves, piano player, etc. Very colonial. My older sister ordered two entrees for dinner instead of entree and main course, uh, which in turn set off our uh, borderline personality disorder alcoholic mother who was already tanked. She started ranting, raging, and by the end was standing screaming uh, at how she was just doing it for attention. She always has to cause trouble, then ended up crying about who she was doing it to get back at her. Meanwhile, the restaurant slowly cleared one by one and eventually... Even the piano player stopped playing and exited. I wished I could have too. Wow. Like little movies. You guys send me like little movies. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself a mere empty show. She's gay. She's in her 30s. 
Um, she was raised in a totally chaotic environment. She was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. She's been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, she writes, my father's father with his loose hands and faith in God. He passed away and I'm still not happy. I just wished I'd pressed the knife deeper onto his neck when I was 12. Darkest thoughts, I'm ashamed that I carry his last name. It reminds me of his touch. Darkest secrets, wish my parents would have been there. Drugs were more important to them than their daughter being touched by a pastor. Family life was destroyed by the monster who sexually assaulted me. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Older men, younger girls. Sickens me how turned on I get. What if anything do you wish for? To stop cutting. I am a scar full of emptiness. Have you shared these things with others? With my therapist. She's amazing and warming. How do you feel after writing these things down? At the moment, no longer nude, but these clothes will soon leave me again. Wow. That is heavy. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Some of this, this stuff that you guys share, um, it just must be so hard to go down and, and reach down and bring that stuff up and share it. I suppose why it's also why a lot of you fill out that you're crying as you're, uh, as you're writing this. This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a guy who calls, I don't know how to pronounce this, Benandi. He is, uh, oh, you don't need to know that stuff. Uh, his issue is anger, and he writes, bruises on my knees from punching them just because I can't win every game I play. Um, <laughs> he comments to make the podcast better. You're always talking about Herbert's butthole. What about Ivy's? Well, Ivy's butthole is so beautiful that it, to speak of it would would tarnish its uh, pureness. It's almost like a um, like a snowflake that uh, I don't know. I'm bailing on this, <laughs> bailing on my bit. Um, this is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by R.J. and he writes about his depression. Sometimes I lie on the floor because the pressure on my chest is the closest I can get to a hug because I'm so alone. About his sex addiction, I feel so much dislike for myself. I can't imagine anyone liking me uh, because I watch so much porn, so much porn. I feel like um, they love me, but I feel like absolute shit after I masturbate. I can't win. Buddy, I would, I would check out a support group for sex addiction. Um because addictions, in my experience, do not go away on their own. We need human connection and um, daily help to keep them at bay. This is from the What Has Helped You uh, survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Witchy Warhol, and uh, her issues are depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, obsessive thoughts, and cutting. And what's helped you deal with them? My recovery began about two and a half years ago when I started fostering dogs that needed homes. Taking care of and giving refuge to, quote, broken and unwanted dogs gave me true purpose. For the first time, I felt truly appreciated, and they didn't even have to use words. That doesn't surprise me at all. There is nothing like having meaning and purpose 
in our lives. It is it has not only uh, saved my life, but it has given me the feelings that I always wanted to have um, in my life. What if uh, what have people said or done that has helped you? The first time I opened up to my best friend about my struggles with cutting was because I was going on a boat trip with several co-workers and I was worried about everyone seeing the large cut on my hip from a few days before. My friend did not judge me and she took me shopping to buy swim shorts that would cover my wound. She was the first person I ever voluntarily told about my cutting and she was the first step to being more open about my struggles. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And that to me is is just what our souls need in a nutshell is that vulnerability and that intimacy. Uh, same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Kay Rose. And what have people done? Uh, her, her issues are anxiety and depression. And what have people said or done that has helped you? My boyfriend can always tell when I'm on the verge of a panic attack and tells me to look him in the eyes and to take deep breaths. He basic, basically talks me down from it, and it's been very helpful. That's awesome. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself M. Bucks. He is straight in his 40s was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. He's never been sexually abused. Um, But uh, have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? He writes, my mother was sexually abused by her father as a child, and she suffered extreme mental health issues as I grew up. She's still very ill, and I'm now 47 years old. Living with her illness was like living with an abuser. My dad was busy working and having a stellar career in his industry. He never helped me come to terms with my mother's illness. They never split up, but he ran away to his job and left me with my extremely ill mother. I sometimes wish I'd gone into care. I've been heavily affected by my mother's mental health, and I now suffer from anxiety and depression. Yeah, but your dad did have a big home that he could show off. So isn't that all worth it? Um deepest darkest thoughts uh, i visualize hanging myself darkest secrets i touched another boy's penis when i was about 10 years old i think i was just experimenting it only happened once i was abusive towards my first long-term girlfriend i bullied her both physically and psychologically because i was upset that she lied about her virginity i wanted her to be just mine and make life a misery for two and a half years before and made life a misery for two and a half years before she finally built the courage to leave me I was 21 years old when she left, but have never quite recovered. I miss her and regret my behavior between 19 and 21. I often want to contact her to apologize, but no, I won't ever do that. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Group sex with women. Very pornographic. I would have loved to have been a 70s porn star. I feel cool because it would be totally consensual. Uh, What if anything we'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to ask my granddad why he abused my mother. I'd like to ask my dad why he didn't, he didn't teach me to be a man. I'd like to say sorry to my ex-girlfriend from 20-plus from years ago. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for financial security so that I can remove a huge chunk of my anxiety. Buddy, I have the feeling even if you did have financial security with the trauma and the abandonment that you went through, I have a feeling that that 
anxiety would morph into some other type of problem. You know, maybe even anxiety that you would lose the money that you had. Um, and who wouldn't feel fucked up um, having the childhood that you did? I mean, you were abandoned by both of your parents, and um, and you deserve you deserve love. And I I get that that you know that your darkest secrets um, you weren't told how to how to express your emotions, and you did it in the only way that you could, which was modeled by your mother, which was being um, abusive. And you know that's not to excuse it, but it's I think. Um, I get it. I get it. Anyway, uh, have you shared these things with others? Never. I would be ashamed and worried uh, people would think bad of me. Well, if you don't, you're going to be trapped in your shame for a long, long time. So I think you should go see a therapist um, and start opening up because you deserve compassion. You do not deserve to beat yourself up. People have done way worse things than, than than you have done. And, you know, it's not a contest who did the worst thing, but um, just to let you know that, it, you know, it sounds like you think you're a monster and you're not. You clearly have a conscience. Um, and you deserve, you deserve to feel acceptance. Uh, this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself serially screwed and about his PTSD he writes like being stuck in a malfunctioning time machine that constantly recycles the worst moments of your life that is a great one that is a great one thank you this is the same survey filled out by dogless dog lady and about her depression she writes you know when you find some old old bugs and the insides are all dried up and evaporated but the exoskeleton is intact and crunchy that's me that uh i know that feeling these are loves that um from a love off we did on facebook and um here are just some of the ones chris duncan writes uh walks under tree canopies on cool days, and then in parentheses, too Hallmark-esque? I don't think so. Uh, the duck-billed platypus, old book smell, the way horses smell, REM, clean sheets, the lock and key completeness of being that sex can be. Boy, that's a beautiful phrase. Uh, Stacy Bass Phelps writes, I love how anytime I sit on the floor, my 75-pound boxer comes and sits on my lap. Uh, Jason Billen writes, I love it when I come home from my walk and my two cats are waiting for me in the window. Oh, that's beautiful. Nicole Burden Gretter uh, writes, I love that hour after my children go to bed where I don't have to be in mommy mode. I can't imagine how awesome that must feel. Um, Sam Fellon writes, I love that first sip of freezing cold water after coming home from a long walk. And Kate Vandervoort writes, I love when my dogs sleep through a thunderstorm. I think they might be dead. I've never had a dog that slept through a thunderstorm. Ivy is inconsolable. Thank God we don't have many thunderstorms here in uh, the West Coast, or at least in Los Angeles. But she is a fucking basket case. She will sometimes come into the shower if uh, if it's thundering out. And she hates 
taking baths. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Little Bo Bleak. She is straight. She's 18. She was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, and she, she writes, uh, My dad, brothers, and family, friends, slash sister provided so much comfort and safety for me while every other aspect of my life was constantly changing and totally fucked up. Um, she was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. She writes, My mother breastfed me until I was eight years old. Oh, my God. And anybody that says that, you know, that's empowering or whatever, fuck off. Just fuck off. Um, she writes, the only reason it ended was because I no longer felt safe around her because of emotional abuse and decided I wanted to sleep in my older brother's room. I only found out this was sexual abuse about six months ago when my brothers all put together their memories of my mother sexually abusing them. I grew up thinking that I was fucked up uh, for breastfeeding that long, but my mother never tried to stop or talk to me about it. I asked my dad, why didn't he stop her? And he did try. He pleaded with her to stop, but she refused, saying it was her right as a woman and even admitted it gave her sexual pleasure. We reported it, and the cops we talked to were even kind, but because it had been more than 15 years and there was no physical evidence, the case was dropped. I've been sexually abused multiple times, and the majority of my abusers were women. So when I hear women talk as if the only as if only men can be abusers or as if women rarely abuse it makes me want to scream in their face should i keep going i have a mary poppins bag full of abuse stories thank you for sharing that and i feel the same way my blood fucking boils when uh when people do that um she's been physically and emotionally abused she writes during the bullshit custody battle my mom started uh, for leverage, she told the court I was stupid and had no friends. So the court, being biased against homeschooling, I was forced into school during what was already the most stressful period of my life. It was an extremely small alternative school uh, within a larger school. There were 35 students when I first got there. Once there, I experienced more sexual uh was physically, I guess she meant more sexual uh, abuse, was physically beaten by my, quote, best friend and endured bullying from friends, peers, parents, and teachers in the school. Any positive experiences with your abusers? When my mom would teach me games uh, she played when she was little. That's the only thing that isn't tainted by her abuse. That's the only activity that involved uh, sexual abuse, emotional and mental mind games, bribery, or, or neglect. I think she meant to say that's the only activity that didn't involve it. Uh, darkest thoughts, don't have any at the moment. Darkest secrets, I don't keep it a secret. Uh, when I was in school, I became sexually, emotionally, and physically abusive. The reasons why are obvious, but I still knew better than to sexually harass 13-year-old boys in my school when I was 16, nor to punch my friends or manipulate them so I could steal from them or get their attention. When I reported the abuse in my school, I didn't hide what I did. Even though they should have, no one reported my abusive behavior. And I know it's because I'm a girl that I got away with it. Hold on one second. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. A healthy sexual relationship because I've never had one. It seems like a fantasy. 
When, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? For those who are suicidal, if you kill yourself because someone else made you feel worthless, you're just doing the dirty work for them. They can place the blame uh, somewhere else or on you. Live. Live for yourself. Live because you are beautiful. You are a human being. You are worthy of dignity and love no matter what. And live so the truth can live too. Live so you can tell your story and change the world just by being alive. That's all it takes. That's beautiful. What if anything do you wish for? A stable home and for my mother to have no legal ties to me so she can't fuck with my life anymore. Have you shared these things with others? I have. Uh, I've been met with forgiveness for my crimes, heartbreak for, for the abuse I've endured, and from the other side I've gotten uncomfortable looks, verbal abuse, and grown women laughing in my face as I break down asking them to stop helping my mother abuse me. Oh my God. Well, if you contact me, I can put you um, in touch with um, some people who have experienced similar things and, um, uh, you know, through forum and support group stuff um, because it is a it is a small group of us who have experienced um, who had creepy, creepy moms that fucked us up and um, anybody else out there as well. Um, we are out there and we're more plentiful than you would think, but we're, we are really marginalized and most of society doesn't even know that we exist. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down? I don't know. I feel sorry for myself a lot and I get off on the attention I get for being quote strong and going through so much. So right now I'm trying to shove aside all those feelings to just be humble and grateful for my brother's dad, my sister, and all the other incredible things I have in my life. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? If you can't go on, go on. You'd be surprised by what you can survive. And, um, any comments to make the podcast better? Come to Toronto so I can meet you. Have more guests with borderline personality disorder on the show and or abusive mothers. Well, you know, because I have felt so alone so much of my life with the things that happened to me. Um, it always feels like a warm hug when I find somebody else that that understands so on on that level i want to thank you for for filling that out and um it helps me feel feel less alone but i'm sorry you had to go through that um and finally this is a happy moment for god's sakes let's get to a fucking happy moment this is filled out by peter and he writes, in the spring of my sophomore year in high school, when I was experiencing the worst depths of my depression, accompanied by incessant thoughts of suicide, I joined the track team as a means of maintaining the companionship I had formed with my teammates on the cross-country team that more or less kept me from killing or injuring myself. Given my slightly more muscular build, I was never the fastest runner, so most of my races on the track usually ended in a one-on-one -on -one battle for second to last with a similar athlete from an opposing school. The track teams in our school di district were never particularly large, so when it came time to run the, run the long-distance races like the 3200 meter, the number of participants was so small that the meet coordinators would lump both genders into a single heat to save time. Incidentally, whenever this occurred, 
the slowest runner overall would inevitably be the same petite little freshman girl from my team. Because I was more often than not the slowest runner among the men, I somehow decided that it would be best for both of us if she and I joined forces to bring up the rear. And after that moment, it became a ritual of mine to run the first lap at full speed and then slow down to join my teammate at the back. We finished last in every race we ran together, sometimes by minutes, but always crossing the finish line with smiles on our faces. Wow. And he's only uh, he's only a teenager. Wow, dude, that... That's some good shit right there. That is some good... Good shit. Um... I'm a little spaced out right now. I don't know what happened. Maybe I need to go get some caffeine in me, but I want to thank you for listening to this episode. I want to thank our sponsors for uh, sponsoring it. And I want to thank Winter and um, and all the great surveys. Man, you guys, just every fucking week, you bring it with these poetic, uplifting, soul-crushing hilarious surveys and um you're the third guest on the podcast you really are and um if you're out there and you're feeling stuck uh i hope this last 150 minutes has reminded you that you're not alone that there's help and that uh all you got to do is take that deep breath and uh Ask somebody, open up to somebody, and uh, it can get better. It can definitely get better. And never forget that you're not alone. And uh, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.